Welcome. It's Friday, 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. New Zealand time. Is that what the time zone is? Come on in. Make sure you can hear me okay. Make sure you can see me okay. Very special uh, guest with us today on our community forum. Um, and I'm very excited to get get to uh, really converse with this fellow and uh, somebody that I've been following on YouTube quite a bit. And he brings such great content to the Tesla community. And of course, with all the craziness that's going around in the Tesla community, you know, the market performance and all this stuff, it's always good to have an economist, somebody that just, just understands the numbers and what's going on. And I think it's going to be a super high value discussion. Before we introduce our special guest, let's go ahead and bring in our community forum panel. We have Hussein, who's a, a brand new face to the community forums. Welcome in, Hussein. We also have Tesla, Richard, who's a longstanding member of the community. And last but not least, the man of the hour, the crown jewel of New Zealand, Lee from the Tesla Economist. Thank you so much for Hi, joining everyone. us today. <laughs> Thanks, Vasad. It's great to be here. All Absolutely. right. Well, uh, so I tell you what, we could start with maybe a little bit of Tesla therapy for some of the investors who sure. aren't feeling it right now so much, which I get quite a bit of, and people telling me it's going to go down to 100 or even less. Um, so I just thought perhaps we could just try and reassure them a little bit. Um, and the fact that, you know, this is a recession. If you're a long-term investor, you were inevitably going to go through a recession one way or another. They happened. Uh, we had the boom, and then we get the recession. But um, more so, the point it's it's just that it's not just. I mean, I, I was okay with a recession. It's just more the stagnant period we're facing now with Tesla, with the delays and things that are hurting more. I mean, if, I think if we were all seeing forty six eighties ramp and the production up and, and all that, then um, it wouldn't be anywhere near as bad as what some people are feeling right now. You know, everything else is suppressed. You're seeing all all stocks are down. You know. Um, so I think, but so a bit of um, way to alleviate that is to just try and try and focus on what is really happening in the company. But it's also difficult right now, the fact that Elon isn't really paying as much attention to Tesla as we would like. And he's distracted with his mission on Twitter right now, which, which I'm totally behind, of course. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of investors out there feel that he's neglecting Tesla and there's this stagnant period and it's making them concerned. But on the other hand, I feel like Twitter, Tesla is in pretty good hands anyway, and Elon isn't as necessary to the company anymore. And the fact that he can go off and do all this, um, it, it means Tesla is in great hands, and he, he doesn't need to sleep on the factory floor anymore to make 4680s ramp up or anything like that. So, um, but I think it's, it's not, there's other things out there. If you can look for coincidences and things like that, uh, like, so we're all focused on the 4680s, or maybe some people are on FSD as well, which is progressing pretty well. Fazad, do you have FSD, Vader? Yes, sir, I do. Yep. Yeah, I, I have not got to experience it before, but I mean, oh, I only have... It's awesome. I only have autopilot. <laughs> autopilot impresses me enough. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. What is FSD like, right? So, I mean, it would, it would blow my mind. I mean, and, and people are just, you know, they're spoiled now. It's like, oh, it's not, it's not, I had to intervene one time or something, it's, this is not perfect. It's like, do you have any idea how amazing that is? If you go back 10 years ago and imagined that there would be a car that even did that, you know? But mm. anyway, I don't do many models on it based on FSD or robo taxis because uh, I, 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 can't, I can't quantify that, you know? I, that's not really, I'm not, I'm not an AI engineer or anything like that. I don't even have FSD, like I'm saying. We, we can't get it here to this level anyway. So instead I focus on, I learned everything I could about cells and batteries because I feel that is the core 
part, the component of the of the product, really, of all the products, energy, even robots, eventually, they're going to have batteries, right? So I try and learn everything I can about batteries and cells and how they work and manufacturing them. And then I felt like I understand the product. So 4680s are just phenomenal in theory of what, what they're going to be able to do. They're going to be able to, to make batteries faster than anyone else. And batteries is the limiting factor. And they're going to be supposedly $70 a kilowatt hour, which is even cheaper than LFP um, in China. Which and, and this isn't LFP. This is high energy dense nickel based batteries. So and um, you know some people think, oh yeah, okay, the the blade batteries and and uh, CATL shielding batteries, they're all kind of on par because they're structural battery packs and they cost about the same or so. Um, yeah, in a sense, and they, they, they're they're more or less kind of kind of similar, right? And and uh, safety as well, they're all really good. But um, but they don't they don't factor in the fact that the forty six eighties are going to be so much more profitable when they go into vehicles because they're going into like a longer range. Model Y compared to a, a BYD or something, you know, so it's a huge deal. And, the, and when you have something that's that more profitable, of course, you can justify things like vertical integration more and massive investments, like a new lithium refinery coming in Texas, which I, I don't know if you if you've seen it or anything, but there was some YouTube videos that have showing there's a new building coming up there, and we there were reports saying that this, this refinery was going to be starting construction in this quarter and be running in 2024. And, and when it comes to batteries, uh, lithium refining, refinery seems to be what will be the limiting factor over time. And Tesla are getting started on it now. And in two years' time, hopefully that's gone. And also that takes a lot of dependence on China for the whole supply chain as well. Uh, and, and Tesla can be more independent that way and not have to rely on anything because they're still relying on, on, you know, well, China, they basically have a monopoly on the refinery there. So, you know, you never know what can happen. Um, but taking... Tesla want to do everything, you know, they don't want to be relying on everyone or hoping that third parties are going to be able to do this or that, you know, you never know what can happen. And uh, and then Elon talks about force majeure events as well, you know. So, yeah, they, they control all that. But, um, but you know, I don't think that, you know, it's, it's a revolutionary new battery, the 4680, and, and it's been tough. The dry battery electrode, you know, they, they've done the, the anode, apparently, it looks like, which which is phenomenal. That's a major start. The cathode sounds like they're still having trouble. We we haven't had any updates. I mean, it would be nice if Elon just gave us some updates on how the 4680s were going. But um, anyway, I don't believe that that Tesla would bet the entire company just on the future of that one revolutionary new un unknown technology. You know, so I'm I'm and and also why would they also want to cut supplies with companies like CATL or, or not expand anymore? It's like, okay, CATL, we, we, we're great, thanks. So now you can make tons more batteries, but, but we're going to rely on this 4680 and we're not going to worry about it anymore. Uh, despite the fact that you've made this new revolutionary battery as well, because they created a battery with uh, an iron cathode combined with a ternary cathode, and it's, it's not using nickel and it's not using cobalt. So it's a great battery. And it's also, I think they're saying, 20% more energy dense than an LFP cell. This is the M3P cell they're making. And if you factor all that in, then you're probably going to be, if you put it into equivalent uh, rear-wheel drive uh, Model 3, then you're probably going to get a range of in excess of 300 miles for the same price of, of batteries, same cost of battery. But of course, their new batteries are structural battery packs. So that means that you can then have the front and rear castings, and you're saving perhaps two, 300 pounds of weight there, which in a Model 3 actually does make quite a bit of difference as well. Again, with all the cost savings and the manufacturing processes, so much faster with front and rear castings. 
Um, so I have this, and this is, there is this enormous factory being built about two hours away from uh, Giga Shanghai that CATL are doing. Uh, um, and it, it just looks absolutely enormous. And they're saying it's 80 gigawatt hour year capacity. It looks bigger than that, but even 80 gigawatt hours a year, and it's supposedly all for Tesla, or at least a lot of it will be. Uh, I mean, that is a massive, massive uh, extra supply of batteries. The first phase opens in January as well. So that's pretty soon. So you time that all that in and things like Tesla's new uh, mega factory factory, um, sorry, mega, yeah, uh, mega, mega energy. Um, so they need 40 gigawatt hours a year, their capacity. So there's this extra factory with all this extra supply and it might be M3P cells. So they might go into the cars and then the LFP cells that were going into the cars can go into the energy factory. Uh, and there's, there, there's another 40 or so gigawatt hours there in abundance. Plus there's also this new factory that they have recently renovated CATL near, um, even nearer Shanghai, which is why we're having this ramp up in China because there's just this excess of LFP cells and Tesla saying, okay, we finally have enough LFP cells for our, for our construct uh, manufacturing at the moment. So I think that, um, that we are going to see that Tesla haven't bet everything on the 4680s. And then there's also this new this new Highland uh, Model Three we're hearing about, right? So these M3P cells or this, these new cells in in CATL, they're going to be a structural battery pack. Um, I don't know if they are going to do 4680. There's a chance it could be 4680, but uh, like there is a an LFP version of it uh, that CATL will do. But it might be prismatic cells. But if it is, it's still going to be in CATL's battery, which is structural anyway. So they can use the front and rear castings either way. Therefore, this Highland uh, Model 3 will, should, will have the, all this cost savings and a lighter car and cost a lot less and be manufactured so much faster. Mm. And, you know, you, if they can just cut $3,000 in cost, easy, I think I'm sure that would be easily happen, right? Because maybe you, you're manufacturing so much faster. Now, look at the Model Y factory compared to the Model 3 factory in Shanghai. The Model 3 factory is larger but the output of the Model Y factory is almost twice as much. Uh, and all the, the only difference in manufacturing is it's uh, got the rear casting and it's it's a bigger car that they're manufacturing there. So I don't, the capacity that they have um, with when they start using front and rear castings and structural battery pack on a smaller car is is yet to see, but it, it's, it means that they can make them in theory a lot faster in the same floor space and at much lower cost. If, if they could save, if it might even be $5,000 a vehicle they can save. And if they passed all those savings onto the consumer, I mean, you know, you in the US, you've got probably a thirty-seven-ish thousand-dollar Model Three, you know, with with three hundred miles of range. I mean, you probably they wouldn't need to sell it that cheap, and then if it applies for the tax credit, it, it wouldn't even be close to that that lower price. But either way, after a tax credit, if people are buying car, a Model Three with three hundred miles for thirty, thirty-five, thirty-seven thousand dollars, I mean, there is going to be a lot of demand for that car. Good night, everybody. Thank you for stopping in. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, like, I have so many questions. Let, let me let me sort of maybe I saw Richard. I thought you you saw you writing down maybe some notes. Did you have something you wanted to 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 throw in? Because I have I have a lot of different questions on what Lee just uh, sort of mentioned. But is there something specific you want to hone in on? If not, I can I can go first. I have a bunch of notes unrelated. Okay. <laughs> so I think I think for me the the thing that's really um, clear to me is that there is a lot of noise that's happening right now. There is a lot of, uh, um, you know, 
the stock has underperformed and I just love the way you frame this entire discussion. It's like, hey, let me reassure everybody in, into what you're, uh, what's actually going on from a fundamentals perspective. How do you... So so is, is it just naturally come to you that you're able to just hone in on these things so innately and just focus on the fundamentals and ignore the noise? Is that something that's part of your character? Like, is that something you learned? Talk to me a little bit about that because this is yeah. very impressive. You just went for 10 minutes, like bang, 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 bang. Help me understand that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I read enough books to realize even Warren Buffett doesn't know the future, right? I mean, mm. he's, he's, he's the oracle of Omaha, but he doesn't, he can't tell the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, mm. Politicians, they don't know what's going to happen in the future. They can try and make all these adjustments to the economy, but but they don't know what's going to happen. And, and it's probably going to go exactly the opposite the way they think. Um, Jerome Powell, he's doing axiomatic uh, tools with monetary policy here. But we don't know what's going to happen, really. We don't know if it's if it's going to be temporary recession or it's going to bounce back into a boom or it's going to go into a depression. And mm -hmm. they don't know either. They're just going by theory. Um, and all these fund managers and stock analysts and stuff, right, they, they don't know the stock as much as a lot of the investors who are obsessed almost with studying, like, what is happening with this company and, and trying to not be too like hyper bullish and just be like, oh, everything's good and finding echo chambers and try reinforcing their what they want to hear. But instead, you know, a bit of cognitive dissonance and, and researching the competition here and there and, and seeing what BYD really are doing. Is it, is it are they really competition or or is our legacy really going to have a chance, etc. And trying mm -hmm. to just like and make your own opinion, basically, with everything being objective as possible, but mainly looking at numbers because numbers are just numbers, not statistics, numbers, the real core numbers, and, and just not letting anyone else change your mind and just be like, well, this is what the numbers tell me. This guy over here, he might be saying, oh yeah, the test of production is gonna drop down to many, maybe 2 million next year deliveries or something. It's like, well, where are you getting this from? The numbers now, their run rate is 2.1 million. So why would they, how would that happen? Um, mm. And and just believing in the numbers yourself, and 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 being you know a concrete foundation of of a solid base of your belief, and hoping you've been objective, and and not let I mean all the doom and gloom out there in the economy it, and the stock price getting down, and then other people they, they they may try and be objective, but they're still feeling all this negativity, and it just it, it in their psychology it just automatically makes them give lower numbers they and they and also that they don't want to sound too bullish in front of everyone and everyone think they're just crazy i mean if i made a video and said oh tesla stock price is going to double this month i mean no one's going to believe that now are they you know like i don't have enough <laughs> even if i had all the credibility no one's still going to believe it but if i can show someone well look here these numbers say that it will it you know the stock price might not double but the earnings will if things happen like this and this is a believable way by maybe this time next year, and if the P ratio is the same, then the stock price would double. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I like to build it on numbers mainly, but then I look Got for it. coincidences, like uh, like um, like all those things I just mentioned of why the Model Three could ramp up with this new with this new battery and this new production process. Like, there's a lot of coincidences right now pointing in that direction. Got it, um, Richard. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say is, you know, I, I and I'm speaking for the entire United States now. Uh, we in the United States, I think, are really focused in, focused in the here and now. So it kind of focuses on the, the events that are occurring currently. 
And I would say, you know, if I was going to point out one issue deficiency in Tesla that that I think doesn't help the stock price is just a lack of clarity from Tesla itself. And I think that causes anxiety in in uh, with Tesla investors because um, I'm a I'm a long investor and I've been buying the last three months almost every day, but I'm still pissed off. I'm not I'm not happy and I'm not happy about uh, certain actions that Elon's taking, but I know long term the numbers make sense. So I'm fine. I'm 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 connected to the long term, but in the short term, I'm still I'm still affected by what's going on. It doesn't affect my decisions to buy stock, et cetera, but in, it affects me day to day. And I'm sure that affect it, that's true of every uh, Tesla in, uh, investor. And you know, and part of it is also there is so much information available, um, and it's just a flood. If you go on, I mean, I, I, I'm a member of multiple discords. I'm on Twitter, and I just see a flood of information. And just, just for example, so my background is I'm, I'm a, a lawyer, so I look at, and there's tons of legal uh, issues that come up with uh, Tesla. And I saw yesterday there, there was a report on a lawsuit involving FSD brought by a shareholder, and they were whoever was reporting on the lawsuit was, was indicating that there was some uh, decision or contemplation of the merits of the case and there was a fraud claim. And the way it was presented, it sounded like Tesla had been unsuccessful in combating a fraud claim. And all it was was a procedural issue, had nothing to do with the substance, but it was out there and people would read it, people get ang anxious about it, and it kind of uh, feeds upon itself. So people are anxious and they kind of, you know, it's a, a confirmation bias the opposite way. You have an anxiety and you start to look, to look for things that kind of confirm your anxiety. So I, I, I wish I could be as calm as Lee. He looks very calm, sitting, sitting, sitting very <laughs> straight. I'm moving all over the place. But, uh, but the current environment is difficult. It really is difficult. And um, the recession and the economics are, you know, obviously enhance that. And the way I see it, we're not even into the real recession yet. So the stress that and, and the recession may not be correlated to the stock price, because I think historically speaking, when we get to the recession, the stock price should start to rise, not the other way around. But people are going to have less economic means during those times, and they're going to be more stressed out. So um, it's important to look in the future, but it would be helpful if Tesla gave more guidance just to ease people's uh, fears and anxieties. What yeah, do you think, Lee? I, I, I think, you know, Elon is distracted with Twitter at the moment, which also makes him look somewhat complacent when it comes to Tesla and, and how it's like a sinking ship and people are worried about it and he's ignoring it. Uh, and that, that is also concerning people. But um, and, you know, we have no PR department or anything like that. The like I was saying, like it's it would have been a lot easier to deal with the recession if we had this progress updates and things with 4680 and knowing con more concrete on, on how the internals of the company are happening. That would have been easier. Yes, I, I I'm fully, fully agree with that. So um, but. Like like you're saying, in the long term, it is good. I mean, in the long term, you're always going to have a recession. And no no one said investing is easy. 
you know, putting your money in the bank is pretty easy and you're just collecting two, three, four percent interest a year. That that's easy. That but if you want bigger gains, then you're gonna have to do it investing, which which has risks and like this is this is the you know, we've we've been watching Tesla go up so much every 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 year or month or whatever continually, but that's not investing. Investing is is going through these sorts of times and still maintaining your conviction, making sure you put enough money away and prepared for these times that you don't have to sell um, and cutting back in other ways. That this is this is the the hard part of investing. But when we come through it in, in history, if history shows, then we will be rewarded much more. I, I mean, I think Microsoft is up something like 15, 20 times from when the bottom of when it was in the global financial crisis, Google as well. That is a massive difference. You know, imagine being up 10, 20 times in Tesla in eight years time or something, you know, this is this is what it is, the conviction of holding through these times. Yes, Tesla and Elon could, could make it easier for us. But then, you know, in eight years time or whatever, think of think of the EV adoption we'd have by then. And like if basically it comes down to like how much do you really believe EV adoption is the future or how big of the future? Because because Tesla has planted all the right seeds in the right places to to be a massive part of that. Even with well, all this competition coming in, you know, oh, China's the, the doing BYD is doing well in China and all these other Chinese manufacturers and everything. And they're all doing really well. But I mean, you know, you check the financials, none of them are really making any profits. Most of them are making massive losses. So, oh, but they're backed by the CCP. They can afford to. Okay, yeah, sure. The CCP, they want jobs. Okay, it's communist. They want to have jobs. They, they, the profits aren't as important. They're going to keep the jobs. But, you know, that's when these companies now have capital reserves of a couple of billion dollars. After a couple of years, they're going to run out. And if they're ramping up and still losing money, they're going to be losing more money with larger sales. So I don't know how the CCP could suddenly justify $10 billion a year to cover these companies to run just to make jobs. I don't know about that. BYD, they have, uh, they probably will break even uh, in their NEVs and they also have their self-enhancement business to keep them funded in the meantime. But like, so what? I mean, they're not great cars. Anyone who can afford a Tesla, you know, rational consumer would likely buy a Tesla over a BYD, you know? That's why we have brands like BMW and Mercedes. These people, they could have they could have bought a, a Toyota instead, but they wanted something nicer. Uh, they wanted, and, and not only that, like, so uh, the Tesla is, is better value than, than these Chinese cars, in my opinion. I mean, what you get for it, the, that performance is, is unparalleled. And I mean, we're talking like Ferrari performance for a fraction of the price, you know? I, I, you know, I always wanted a nice car one day and retire, something maybe like a secondhand Lamborghini or something. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to find that money because my Tesla satisfies me in that, in my driving, for my driving, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that saves me a lot of money for my retirement now because it's such good value. I didn't want the prestige or anything. I didn't care about that. I just want to feel that, those, that, that performance. It's absolutely incredible. And, and okay, I, I, I have the first Model S plaid on order when it comes to New Zealand because I don't even know what that's going to feel like. I, I, to have it every single day, everywhere crazy. I go. Oh, you've done it? No. <laughs> I, I've I, been I, in I, one before. It's completely <laughs> my point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I, I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I look forward to that. Like, I, I can't imagine like owning your own roller coaster essentially and uh, and seeing the looks on people's faces every time you you, you take them out. Um, uh, that that and that's my dream car. And and I, and I think it is an exceptional car. It's it's that people argue with me and say, oh, it hasn't got the luxury of a Mercedes. And if you've been in an, e, in an EQS, is it the EQS, the luxury one? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Mercedes. It's 
it's really basic. It's not great. Uh, it, it's also not great design. I mean, some people love it so much. They had like the car dealers were paying an extra premium of like $100,000, I think it was, for people to have it because they got the exclusive electric luxury Mercedes. But um, the luxury in the S-Class is, is is above it, in my opinion. But you don't don't confuse opulence with luxury, you know. Um, luxury is, is having a safer car or a luxury is, is a car that drives itself, you know, having a built-in chauffeur. This is real luxury or HEPA air filters so that you're actually healthy the whole time and not breathing in all these all the smoke rather than some lever from some special cow in Norway, you know, like, okay, that's just opulence. The actual luxury element. And, and this is the way Tesla do it. Like my, my Tesla, all Teslas, they're highly optioned because of the economies of scale. I, I think Elon's like, well, how much extra does it cost per car to upgrade the stereo if we make it in, in every single one? He's like, oh, $200 or something. Okay, great. Well, let's do that. When normally in a BMW, it might cost $1,000 or $1,500 extra to pay for this option. It's standard in the Tesla, so along with along with tons of other features, plus that whole computer system that you, know, you just get these updates all the time, and suddenly you've got an extra camera when you reverse, and suddenly all these other features. And then you've got Apple in your car or Zoom in your car. Like this is this is this is real luxury, and you know there's no buttons, so you don't need to upgrade the buttons because it's all like your smartphone. So, um, in my opinion, you know, uh, the when the EV adoption kicks in, Teslas are just you know they've they've found all the seeds. They've got they've got they're going to have the cells, which is going to be the limiting factor still, and then the lithium refinery as well. If that's an issue, they will grow with that with that economy um, with that whole industry. And people are like, oh, they're losing market share here and there. It's like, well, yeah. But um, they're not really losing anything. They, they're still eating into the ice market share or the overall auto automotive market share. And uh, guess what? Tesla hasn't even made their equivalent of the Model T yet. They aren't started. They are, we are, they are still yet so young. They've been getting all their ducks in a row. They haven't even got their in-house uh, battery going yet, hardly. When that starts going and they start duplicating uh, and, and rinse and repeating at these 4680 factories, then we'll see how fast Tesla can go. And then, of course, this, you know, the Model T version of a car, whatever it's going to be, this, this uh, low-cost version of a Tesla, which, which, you know, Elon Elon has said, he said it's like a $25,000 car before, but then he's, he's kind of backtracked on that and said, mm, don't think about it so much as a low-cost purchase. Think of it more of a low-cost per mile driven or, or being driven in, perhaps. So we don't know if that's going to be a rubber taxi or a compact car for sale. But either way, that's, that's going to be their Model T version of, of them really pumping out cars. And he, him saying that they found ways of production to cut the cost of the equivalent of half of a Model 3, that, that's, that is a massive, massive jump in cost. We're talking below parity of, of ICE vehicles. And if you, when you factor in perhaps a million mile battery or whatever, then you know even ICE car at zero dollars, it's still, it's still gonna have a higher cost of ownership compared to this car. You, you can't compete with that <laughs> well yeah i mean these are all <laughs> go ahead richard <laughs> yeah i was gonna play devil's advocate on the aren't there a lot of people who just want a crappy cheap car so if they can get an electric uh cheap car even if it doesn't have like super features that will be sufficient um that's kind of one question the second question would be uh byd i agree has really low margins but they probably will operate with really low margins so i kind of think it like maybe the flip side if they don't have to make much of a profit, they could maybe sell a lot more cars. You know, Tesla's gonna make a lot of profit and they have to, but BYD is, if they're gonna be like China's basically their lead 
seller of EVs and protected by the Chinese government, then they might be able to sell, you know, very low margins. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to add to uh, uh, focus as much on their, they obviously have shareholders, but it's kind of a different uh, mindset and a different uh, background. Um, and um, so I'm wondering if there are some Chinese companies that eventually can compete. Now, consistent with what you just said, I think I saw on Twitter yesterday, uh, the CEO of uh, BYD, he was asked something along the lines of, are you competing with Tesla? And the answer was what basically Elon said, no, we're kind of competing with ICE vehicles. So they, I think they have the same view that uh, the market's big enough for everybody. And until you saturate the market, you know, the more the merrier, let's kind of make the switch. But I wonder ultimately if they produce, because they produce, they certainly sell a lot of cars and they certainly have an international market. So they have access to the US because they sell products in the US. So I think they will be a real competitor, not in the same kind of, uh, quality of cars, but probably in volume, I think they'll sell a lot more cars and make, again, a lot lower margins. Yeah, I mean, that word competitive is, is, a, is a little bit uh, vague, I suppose. But yeah, I, I, I agree, they're, they're taking ice more. But I mean, like I'm saying, people who buy BMWs, they can afford Toyotas as well. And in America, the people people identify a lot with a car. Um, for example, when, when Ford, the, the Ford Model T, right, that mistake Henry Ford made, was thinking, oh, we just want lower cost car. That's all the consumers want. We can get the cost down lower and lower and lower. And the cost of the car went down from like $900 to eventually like something like $280 by the time, uh, by the end of it. But in the meantime, General Motors or, or um, maybe it was Chevrolet at the time, they were working out, well, hang on. Okay, cars are affordable enough now. Let's uh, let's see if we can make nicer cars or, or you know, keep with, because the Model T was still pretty basically the same design, perhaps with a roof on and a few extra things but uh, it was basic. And then they're making nicer cars and people are like, well, hang on, I can actually afford a couple hundred more dollars for a Chevrolet over a, over a Ford. And, um, and you know, Henry Ford was obtuse enough to just, even though everyone was telling him like, no, you've got to start making other cars. No, no, people just want cheaper cars. And eventually he went from his market share of 80% to something like 40% as there was things like Cadillac and, and all that. And then he started, he did eventually make, was it the Model D, I think after that, um, but then even after that, they realized, hey, Ford isn't, is, alone isn't enough of a brand. We need to, so they started Mercury and started Lincoln because people wanted to, like, they identify with a car, you know, they, they, their brand is, is, is important to them. Plus, you know, the Americans spend a lot of time in the car as well. And they, you know, you, you, you want to have Netflix and things in your car. You want to be able to self-drive. You like the BYD doesn't have self-driving and all this sort of stuff. And it's I, I've driven BYD and it's probably one of the worst cars I've driven in my life. I, I don't I, I do kind of mean that I put my foot down and after I hit about 40, 50 kilometers an hour, the tires started screeching and losing traction. I then took it driving around the hills. Sounds great. And <laughs> going around the hills. I I'd even I had the video of it. I put it on my on my channel and you can hear the tires screeching as the traction control kicks in after you lose traction. Uh, the brakes weren't great. It, it, it's not a great car, but it is, it is a low-cost car. If people can't afford a Tesla, then they can get this. And, and it came with, you know, quite a few of the options, like radar, cruise control, you know, about about a, a highly optioned Mercedes from 12 years ago. Uh, it would have had, you know, it, it has, a, it, but it, it's it's got, you know, it, it's good value for the money in, in a sense. If you just want a car to go from A to B, I think people do want more in a car. And not only that, Tesla 
offers so much more in a car. Now, I, I would compare BMW really as as a as a competition competitor to to where to where Tesla is, um, more on that that luxury standard. And and then um, what you get for the money uh, for maybe a, a Model Three compared to a Three Series. Well, obviously, the Model Three is going to be so much faster and or quicker anyway to 100 to 0 to 60, and uh, and then all the other elements you get to it, like all, all the all the options that come standard, and you start adding those options onto the the BMW, and the, the Model Three is like you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars cheaper, and of course it doesn't even have self driving and it won't update itself. It's not as safe, you know. You, you the safety things that one a major element that you know it's the safest car in the world, and then you can go into the supercharger network and all the other things. Yeah, BYD. I think they're they're going to be big in China and they're making a lot of cars and they and the profits like you're saying they they aren't concerned about the profits so much. They just want expansion. They want market share. And and they're going to go overseas as well. But you know, when they start going overseas, you know, you've got shipping costs, you've got tariffs, you've got protectionism against you. Like in the US, they won't have that seven hundred thousand dollar credit. They'll have to pay import duties. They won't have the charging network. They okay. They BYD have some presence in the US. But I think it's mainly for their uh, their hybrid buses. It's it's not so much for car dealerships where mm. uh, they'll you know you need all the service centers. People complain about the Tesla service centers. Well. How bad's a BYD one going to be? And then what about BYD? What if Uxpeng and Neo and and the others want to all come over as well? I mean, there's yeah. economies of scale in the service centers and the superchargers, of course. So yeah. I I think you know it BYD is is a player in in the electric car company in the electric car industry, but they are also they're all using LFP cells. So one major disadvantage of LFP cells is you're limited to a real real life range of about 200 miles. And mm. uh, and okay, a lot of consumers are okay with that for the for the cost saving. But a lot of also, a lot of consumers, especially in America, according to research, they want three hundred miles. Then mm. none of them can offer that. And that's in a sedan. You start going to SUV, crossover, pickup truck, minibus, um, uh, minivan. You've dropped down to one hundred fifty kilometers and miles range, or maybe even less. Mm. Right? That, that's that's not going to be enough. That they, that's it. They can't do long range. And and you can say, oh well, they can make uh, nickel batteries. Yeah, but they they haven't supplied that. You haven't got there. They they, they take up. They're harder to produce. Iron batteries, iron based cathodes are a lot simpler. Okay, that's why they can just make these factories so quickly. But when you start mm. doing nickel, you got the the. It's more. Uh, there's all the thermal management issues. It's it's a lot trickier. The uh, the legacy companies, Ford, GM, uh, Stellantis, Mercedes, uh, Volkswagen. What have they invested in? They've all invested in nickel batteries, right? They, with 200 gigawatt hour factories coming online eventually. It's taking a long time. Don't get me wrong. Uh, 2024, yeah. 2025, 26 forward to like, oh, we have one or two million EVs a year. Okay, still, that's in the US alone, right? But yeah. they also qualify for all those tax credits and they're offering 300 miles of range and it's a forward brand compared to Chinese brand. And I would say, I haven't, I haven't driven a Mackie, but I would say it probably does drive better than a BYD. Um, and, I've seen them in uh, person. I mean, they're not bad at all. It's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty decent car, but it's, I think from, from the description you have of BYD, it's it's uh you've driven it and you've you've experienced it in person it, it doesn't it just seems like tesla is a class uh a class above let me real quick uh before we, we continue on the topic i just want to make sure hussein he has to leave soon i want to make sure he throws in a, a couple cents here thank you lee for I, I mean this is like incredibly valuable i think for investors to really get re-engaged to maybe the ones that are sort of uh you know absorbing all the stuff that's going on now the fundamental story of tesla just rings so true and the way you're describing it it's just powerful uh i gotta give you that it's very very powerful hussein go ahead and uh sort of share your thoughts or a question you might have uh, yeah i mean thanks so much for having me Frazad. um i mean i mean i'm in here to actually start 
understanding the the dynamic behind his stock and all that and lee has been killing it, i'm not gonna lie um before i leave like i usually get this question i'm like when when it might be the most optimal time for uh, musk to step down as uh, tesla ceo it might be a little bit unrelated but i think it is going to narrow down to the um the way uh, tesla stock maybe um is behaving let's say um what do you so yeah yeah what do you what do you, you think have... about it lee um Go for it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think you know he's he's been delegating a lot more as he can. You know, is obviously he's, he's juggling several companies right now, um, and I think it, I think we're starting to get the impression that Tesla is in really good hands, and he has some really key people there, and and it's it's I mean we don't want to lose him as a CEO, and he said he will stay there as long as he can be useful. And he also says that he knows more about manufacturing. And I think the context was manufacturing in general, not just auto manufacturing, than anyone in the world. <laughs> that was what he said. Um, and and then Tesla, when it when it really comes down to it, when because you because basically electric cars or good electric cars are about how can you get the cost lower to parity of ice or lower than parity. And it comes down to manufacturing basically how can you manufacture them and also you think you see cars like bmw why does a bmw look better than a toyota because of the manufacturing right that toyota is more automated and every and and they want to try and reduce the cost so so the toyota can't look as good because it's harder to manufacture nicer looking cars like like a bmw or mercedes so tesla have done that though they have managed to do this manufacturing and still make the cars look good with all these options and things so manufacturing is the, is the key here and and Elon seems to really like manufacturing and has got into it in a big way so yeah i i i hope we've got him for the rest of the decade really awesome Does right. answer your question, uh, yeah th thank you so much for answering my question and for having having me the in the live stream guys and i'll be uh, i'll see you guys later on thank you brother right. appreciate you, you for stepping in hussein Let's go ahead and uh, bring in, uh, looks like Hans might be uh, in the kitchen. Let's bring in Ishan. <laughs> and then let's bring in uh, Hans whenever he sits down. I'm sure he's caught up. So what's up, Ishan? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. To be honest, Hussain just cracked me up when he talked about how the Tesla stocks misbehaving. <laughs> yeah. Why? What, what's what's making you crack up? Got us, got us mad this uh, little kid <laughs> and get so him straight. <laughs> Somebody so gotta get a hurt. <laughs> um, what do you? Um, are, I'm sure you, you've been listening to the conversation in, in the background a little bit. Um, Lee has been. Uh, I think. I think my biggest takeaway from this conversation thus far, and and this is sort of where maybe maybe we can. You know, I don't know if if you want to throw your two cents in here, or Lee, or whoever wants to jump in here. The fundamental story of Tesla is still rings as true and as strong as it has been since its inception. And it's because the landscape in that Tesla's competing in, it appears to this day, even though there's these other vehicles and manufacturers coming to light that could quote unquote, steal away share from the company. It's just simply not the case. And uh, it seems like we have all the data points that are available to us that are pointing to this direction. BYD himself, the leader coming out of Richard, thank you very much for bringing light to us this to light is the 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 leader of one one of the i guess perceived competitors to tesla in byd is openly saying that we're actually just going to go after ice cars and gas cars 
what else do you need? <laughs> what else do you need? You know, so um, it's it's that fundamental story of of how Tesla is going to dominate is is still very much alive and well. Ishan, what do you think? Right. So first up, uh, Lee, big fan. Right. Uh, so yeah, no, I I think I uh, sort of do agree on some points and have other thoughts on others. Now, one of the big things uh, is that, like uh, Richard said, that hey. Uh, EVs are really competing with ICE cars and that that is the case. But then when we talk about market share, right, uh, the biggest thing that I see is what is the exit market share that Tesla or any other, you know, uh, company will potentially have, um, you know, 10 years down the line, maybe 2030, uh, 2032, etc. And why do I say this? Because it hardly matters if market share today is 80% or 60% or, you know, 40%. If Tesla has a 20% market share, but then uh, maintains that 20% market share all the way to 2032, uh, and we have 100% conversion to electric, uh, Tesla is essentially going to be selling anywhere between 10 and 20 million vehicles a year, right? Uh, so I don't look at it from the point of view of what is the market share today, but what the exit market share is going to be at steady state. Now, uh, there are a few things that we've got to take a look or think about when we're talking about this, is that the number of new vehicles sold every, you know, uh, every year is going to reduce at some point in time, and it will probably start happening once we hit an inflection point on the total number of cars on roads uh, being electric, you know, crossing something like a 9 to 10%, which is the beginning of the S-curve, versus... Uh, what we look today is the number of new cars sold uh, hitting that inflection point number, right? So uh, I think that's one of those key areas when we start seeing um, uh, some sort of market share stability come in where a few companies have become the champions and not one, you know, it's not going to be just Tesla. I mean, there will 100% be a BYD and there'll be another, you know, five, seven companies, I believe, who will have... Uh, not who will not have like a significantly large market share, but not insignificant as well, right? So that's how I look at it. And uh, it's at the end of the day about making sure that, or just sort of understanding the fact that what segment of the market is Tesla playing in and leave. Uh-oh. you still there, buddy? Uh-oh. Uh oh. Okay. Uh, I think Am you're I back. back. I think you're back. I think. Uh, when did you lose me? The internet monster came to you. Uh, we lost the last ten seconds. So if you want to kind of uh, start. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think uh, if you look at uh, some of the key things, the report that came out that showed that Tesla is making almost eight times the money per vehicle that Toyota is making, and that, you know, a, col uh, uh, a corollary is that Apple is making about seven to eight times the money per phone sold compared to a Samsung or any other players, but it doesn't mean that Samsung small or Xiaomi is small, right? Uh, so I think that is exactly what is going to play out in this market as well, and we've got to see, see that um, Tesla, if it holds uh, a 20% exit market share, I think it is going to be, like, uh, you know, five trillion dollar company just on the back of the car business is what I feel. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, my I'd, I'd, I'd agree to an element of that. Yeah, I mean, because 
essentially you have these other EVs trying and they're going to make maybe two, three, four percent margin maybe when they get going, maybe maybe five percent. Whereas Tesla is probably going to be more like, well, it's 30 now. I, I think it's going to go higher, go to 40 percent, 50 percent as they lower their costs of production. And as they add FSD, everyone's going to be ordering that. So but um, the market share, I mean, this, this is this is a, a uh, this can be arbitrary in a sense. And we think of our market share as, as a number of EVs sold. But uh, the limiting factor is still going to be sales for some time. I mean, easily this decade. So it would really be the market share of of sell uh, supply would be a way, a better way to determine it. And, and BYD figures are somewhat skewed because they call them new energy vehicles. So they are including the hybrids in there. You, you should only be we look, should only be looking at their BEVs, you know. And, and Tesla's still well ahead of them internationally, globally. So market share of actual sell supply would be uh, Tesla are going to have the, the biggest. They're forty six eighties when they ramp. They should be maybe produce five to seven times faster than uh, than, than the BYD cell, uh, blade batteries. I mean that, and then they keep on rinsing and repeating more and more factories. That That's gonna be hard for anyone to keep up with. On top of that, CATL are exponentially growing with their sales and improving their technology. And Tesla is by far their number one purchaser. No, no one else can afford to buy this many sales from them. And BYD um, and CATL are like, okay, well, we, wanna, we wanna keep on growing. How do we do that? We need to build a new factory to sell more sales. Well, who's gonna buy those sales? Can anyone sign up to buy 100 gigawatt hours of sales? No, just Tesla? Okay, well, Tesla can be our customer. Okay, BMW, I think, are in, in the new factory in Hungary and that they're probably going to supply the Europeans there. But, but um, essentially, they're going to have the market share. But not only that, the set a sell, a kilowatt hour in a Tesla vehicle, uh, that goes, it gets that much more range than a kilowatt hour in any other vehicle as well. So even if Tesla had 50% market share of sales supply, it would mean that they could still put them in maybe 30% more vehicles than anyone else on top of that. But I think when you really get down to it, first principles way, um, the real market share is going to be miles driven. How who is driving the most miles in the vehicles? Because at the end of the day, we'd expect you know, if even if it takes a whole decade, it's going to be full self driving, and who is who is who is driving the car? You know, and and obviously Tesla are going are the only ones really going for level five autonomy or proper robotaxis that are going to be scalable, massively profitable, and completely abundant, and can be made in a massive amount of, of uh, production, huge, huge numbers. So when if it goes to miles-driven market share, then Tesla could be 90% plus. You know, If it's going to be robotaxis everywhere, it's cheaper than buying a car. You can just robotax. It's cheaper, obviously way cheaper than Uber. Um, and um, yeah, it doesn't matter what the price of the other EVs are. People, it's, it's, you can't get any lower cost than, uh, than than a robotaxi from the economic standpoint there. Yep. Um, so to continue on with BYD for just a second, I actually have two questions that, that raised. And uh, so I'll start with the one, I think to steel man the case for BYD that, and it's not a great steel man, but I think this might be some pattern matching that is going on for a lot of people is if you go back to the innovator's dilemma, BYD, has pattern matching with classic Clay Christensen style disruption, where they're starting at the low end of the market and then they're trying to pump out a whole bunch of things. And then if over time they can follow Wright's law, continue to drive down costs and improve the quality and functionality, um, that they have a chance to be a significant major player. Now, so that's the one point. The opposing point is that really assumes a stagnant incumbent and this is typically true in large industries when you do have a disruptive innovator coming into the space. Um, but that's just absolutely not what I see from Tesla. 
Tesla is at a scale that is close to the size of BYD's entire business, both ICE and uh, EV, and they're pure BEV. And then between their pace of innovation, the uh, like I guarantee you that Tesla is radically better at manufacturing than BYD, as evidenced by their current gross margins. Um, but they're not stopping here. We see that they're continuing to just drive that down at an insane pace. And so I just, what are your thoughts on that, Lee, as far as um, people's perception of BYD as a long-term competitor? I, I mean, in my opinion, the manufacturing, BYD are currently ahead of Tesla. The blade battery is is uh, structural. So, I mean, that, that's a that's a big deal. Um, that they don't—they're not using front and rear castings yet. But um, yeah, I, and I think you're right. The the economy eventually, economies of scale kick in more and more, and uh, costs come down. They find revolutionary new ways of just cutting costs because they don't need to compete with themselves or Tesla. They they're competing with the ICE cars. They're just trying to get to parity of that or below parity and get lower lower cost relative to ICE. And that and that's that's what their objective is. And and you know and and they they I think they they can eventually hit a profit. The technology will turn and the economies of scale will kick in and all these sorts of things. But also currently they supposedly aren't making profit and they they do also have this subsidy as well, which is going away. So it, it it's it's not entirely that easy. But also the larger they get, the less their cell phone handset business will be able to fund them because obviously the costs are going to go up uh, incrementally or exponentially really um, when they start ramping up more and more and that cell phone handset revenue starts to dwindle relative to the uh, the car business. But on top of that, you know, um, they, they aren't like, they don't have these profits like Tesla, they can't justify these massive, massive expenses or, or like get into mining and refining to the level Tesla can. Sure, they, they have their own chips and things like that, they did that, but they're not great, they don't need them and uh, it's, like much better get a TSMC chip and just making one chip do two purposes instead. Um, and, you know, Tesla's costs are going to come down and Tesla are going to keep making every, uh, making as many cars as they can and they're going to keep selling every car they can. So so they're not, so if BYD have any effect on Tesla, it would only be the fact maybe Tesla might have to lower their prices somewhat and reduce their margins, but Tesla is still going to be selling all the cars they make because they get the costs down more and more, they make more cars, they get more further integration, more more revolutionary new manufacturing processes, then the costs come down further and further and further. But we already know that the costs can come down so much anyway for sell, even if they want to sell a car. Uh, we're, we're on like a, the, you know, we haven't really even seen front and rear castings come in yet and structural battery packs in a big way. In the future, all Teslas are going to be structural battery packs, front and rear castings and save $5,000 or so from what they're producing now. Only like half the cars they make now even have rear casting. We are so early, okay? So all the future testers are going to cost a lot less, and and they can just they can pass on that saving to the consumer if they have to, and then demand will just go up, and their production process uh, will facilitate with these uh, all these new processes, and they can make more and more cars in, in the same space in a smaller factory, lower costs, more vertical integration, mining, refining, processing. Um, that Tesla can just compete at any price point they want. They could undercut BYD even if they wanted to. And if there is this $30,000 Tesla coming out, compact, whatever, um, then, you know, that that would be on about the same price as a, a BYD anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. We're offering more range and, so that, and, and safer. And... Yeah, that actually raises part of my, my follow-up question. We've heard Gary talk about wishing that 
there was a $30,000 Tesla competitor that was available in the Chinese market specifically, and that that would allay a lot of institutional investor concerns about their growth rate plans. Um, when I think about that, I think about it from a cell constraint standpoint, and I just, I can't imagine the increase in demand for a Tesla at that price point and the strain that that would put on the cell supply. And so I've, that's one of the things that I've been trying to back, back and forth in my brain for the past couple of days is, you know, what is the give and take, the pros and cons between just continuing to try and drive down costs on the three and Y platform for the time being and increase sales by lowering price, which is in line with what Elon has stated multiple times that he wants to do versus going ahead and trying to move down market into that segment. And um, in my view, potentially just blowing cell supply right out of the water. Yeah. I mean, there won't be enough cell supply for a $30,000 Tesla for years. Uh, and so and, and even put this way though, I mean, why would they want to put it in a right now, perhaps it could make it for $20,000 perhaps. So $10,000 per profit. Um, using those cells, or they could use those same cells and put them in Model 3s or Model Ys and make almost twice as much profit. So you have like half as much profit per kilowatt hour uh, for a vehicle that would have a waiting list of two, three years because you can't make enough because the price point's so low. It, it doesn't seem like a good strategic move to me. Uh, like they don't have the supply anyway. I mean, I don't know when it would take them. Okay, how many people are going to want a thirty thousand dollar Tesla? It would. It's going to be huge. The 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 demand is so elastic for electric vehicles because you have this uh, intrinsic value of a vehicle that basically costs very little to run. You know, all that saving and gas maintenance and all that. So when you start reducing the cost from sixty thousand dollar electric vehicle to thirty thousand, it is the demand like it's so much so exponentially that. The, you know, and we've seen what Tesla waiting list is like in the past. A $30,000 one. I, I don't think Tesla's ever mentioned anything about a $30,000 car anyway. I think that's just coming from people saying the $25,000 car plus inflation is $30,000. And um, yeah, so I personally, I'm, I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't see the business move behind that. I think a, a lower cost Model 3 would be the more, a better move right now. Maybe, maybe a $35,000 price point uh, in the US perhaps, where there would be more, and, and it'd be better to sell that car in the US because there'd be more profit there. Uh, it'd probably be more, more expensive than that anyway. Uh, and then you've got more people taking FSD up on there. Uh, America is, is Tesla's market. That is, the, that is their biggest market by far. I know more people, more Chinese people buy more cars, but it's a much lower ASP. And when you start getting to Tesla prices, it, it's just so many more people who can afford Tesla at that price point. And if you're limited by sales, then you want to sell them in the cars, put the sales in the cars that make the most profit. Like something like a Cybertruck. I mean, I've heard Fazard say that he thinks it's going to be about 50% margin um, in the past. And um, I, I, I think it could even be higher. I think the Model Y from Texas, there's no reason that couldn't be up to 50% margin now with these tax credits. And uh, I think I think the Cybertruck, I think I think we can forget maybe about the quad version or, the, or even the trimotor version coming out first. I think I think it would. It's probably going to be the dual motor first, and it might be closer to seventy thousand dollars, maybe even higher, rather than this, the advertised fifty thousand. I mean, the Model Y alone has increased about eighteen thousand dollars since the Cybertruck uh, was announced. So, and and that was before the Cybertruck had one and a half million people waiting to buy them, and that was before the tax credit on top of that. Um, so, you know, if they did the quad motor with five hundred miles range or something for a start, I don't think the four six eighty cells are energy efficient enough for that. 
And then on top of that, you'd be using 50% more sales when you could be selling 50% more vehicles. And you probably, you probably got closer to 60% margin on the Cybertruck by then. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you want to you keep the sales where the profit it is for now, if you're so limited. And you know, I, I don't even know if there will be this low cost $25,000, $30,000 compact car. We don't know if it's going to be for sale. We don't know if it's going to be a robo taxi. And it could be a car that, you know, Model 3 was designed around low cost manufacturing and things like that and safety and lightweight. The robo taxi or this compact might be more focused around being a robo taxi and it would be lighter so it can brake quicker. It might have four wheel braking mechanical so that it can brake that much faster, which means it needs to be less responsive if it thinks someone's going to run out on the road because it knows it can brake that much sooner so it doesn't. it can run more efficiently and faster. Um, it will have a, a shorter front so it can crawl out easier and see the see the uh, the, the cars coming and, and it has so it'd be all these I think it'd probably be I was thinking maybe it might even be just a three-seater because something like 90% of Uber Uber rides are single passenger so I mean what are the chances robot taxi is probably going to be 80-90% single passenger so design it more around single passenger use hence probably why it's going to be a compact um, possibly uh, something like um, something like the semi truck, you know, the driver in the middle and two seats somewhat in the back kind of thing. Um, and you know, people are like, oh, but what if you need five of you? Well, you know, just get two robot taxis. It's not that big a deal. So you know, um, I, that would and, and we it does look like it's potentially this small car. And, and we do wonder, like, is this a compact car? Is there a robot taxi coming? Is it a van? Is it what? I think I think we're in this new new car that uh, Fran said where he designed that is the best car he's ever designed. I think this could possibly all be the same car, you know? <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a question along the I was going to ask you and you brought it up, so I'm going to direct it at you. Uh, just because it, it seems to be your expertise and I wanted to take advantage of that. So it, when you evaluate Cybertruck, and I just went to the Peterson uh, Museum and there's a, a Tesla exhibit there and there's a Cybertruck there and it is just amazing when you see it in person it's just really captivating and i live in la so i, I and i was speaking to somebody there so i'm seeing like a cyber truck on wilshire boulevard you know can there be any better advertising for anything so um but I, what my question would be is how you conceptualize in your kind of modeling of tesla's eps how do you factor in cyber truck and the semi how do you look at it, at least in a a, a broad fashion without being specific numerically. Yeah, the semi, I um, I don't factor in too much. I, have, I haven't done too much modeling on the semi truck. It's it's too hard to really factor because, I mean, we don't even know the price of it for a start. I think though, I think that might be where all the 2170 cells end up. They're all made in, in uh, Giga uh, Nevada, so 2170 cells. And so is the semi truck. So it makes sense to make the truck where the cells are made and eventually all 2170 sales will be earmarked for for semi truck which would be in line with the numbers that elon said like 50,000 by 2024 that's about the amount of cell supply they have there and i think uh, there's going to be a whole reshuffle of cells i'm thinking this these new catl m3p cells might be for the model 3 and they'll have this mid-range version in fremont and then 4680s will be in the cybertruck and uh and the model y and because so, you want to keep tidy you know a tidy uh way of having all these cells because Elon describes it as the Baskin Robbins of cells, 31 different flavors, you know? So it's, it's got to keep it tidy because and I, I'm thinking, you know, obviously 4680s is what he wants everywhere. And Panasonic are making 4680s for him. They might be different energy density or different different um, different uses, but it lost, at least it does make it easier if it's all the same. Um, 
so, but yeah, and the Cybertruck though, well, I mean, it, it's massively profitable. And, you know, he's saying, Elon's saying we can get volume production at the end of next year, which would be phenomenal. And I believe that that is going to be the tipping point of, of the stock price. When we see that, that Tesla have hit volume production on the Cybertruck, it is possible that they've done it and the 4680s are there and, you know, sometime end of next year. And I think that might be when the start of the stock price leveling up again. But basically, you know, we know there is this massive demand and in people in Europe, they want Cybertrucks too. They want a smaller version. And Elon's mentioned, yeah, we might do a smaller version. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it's, it's such a big car, but the way it's manufactured, it just looks big. It doesn't necessarily cost that much more, uh, but you get so much bigger car, but it, it's so simple construction at the same time. It's almost like origami at this stage. And um, so I, I I think it, like like you said, I've, I've had I've never seen one, but I've had people tell me who've seen one. It's like seeing it on online or, or in videos, it does no justice to it. When you see it in person, it's like CGI and real life and all this. It's stunning. <laughs> and the, like when people start seeing it on the road as well, one pulls up to the next to them at the lights and they're just like, whoa. And then, and then you know, everyone can put um, advertising on all their trucks because it's just going to get everyone's attention. And, and there's all these other applications for it, just how safety, safe it is and no scratching of the paint or it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's mind blowing the potential of that. Um, and, you know, I, I think we could hit 50, 60% margins on those. And then you include FSD on top of that and other extras. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be hugely profitable. But um, yeah, I, I wonder if they'll have another factory up somewhere else in the Northeast as well, if it's that profitable. Interesting. Yeah, I was I was half thinking. Uh, Richard, did you have a, a thought there before we go to Sean? Oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say quickly, I, there was a time once that there was a Russian uh, rock group doing a protest on the freeway during rush hour. So they stopped and they pulled out their amps and their guitars and they started to play and they stopped all traffic. And I can only imagine like a cyber truck on the 10 freeway at rush hour and everybody like just stopping their cars, getting out <laughs> and taking an in-person look. Traffic stopped and having that look like a, an Independence Day moment. And then imagine if there was a band in the bed of the pickup truck playing rock music. My God. Take it to the next level. Ishan, go ahead. I, I know you have a, a few thoughts you want to share with us. Go for it. Yeah, no, I think, uh, so just getting back to what Lee was saying, no, um, I wouldn't exactly discount BYD as uh, somebody who's trailing Tesla by a large margin uh, because they have, of course, you know, they used to make uh, ice vehicles, but what they've really done is taken the best principles of what Tesla is doing, especially with manufacturing with the actual physical thing, right? And I'm not getting into software here. Uh, they've done a lot of good things, you know, the vertical integration that they have. They actually beat Tesla to a structural pack, which is amazing, of course. Um, the Blade battery packs are actually pretty good. Uh, I very recently got to uh, check out the BYD Auto here in India. They've just, you know, I think they've either launched or prepping to launch it. So there are a few... Uh, early access vehicles available for people to see. And the fit and finish is spectacular, right? Um, in fact, uh, at the same ticket, I would not even think about uh, something like a Merc or a BMW or, you know, a premium brand. I would, I, I found BYT to be actually better 
not considering that it was an EV, just, you know, fit and finish the feel, the luxury in the vehicle, etc. So uh, BYD is it's doing a lot of good things. And I think at steady state, you know, uh, I look at it as Tesla, BYD, and potentially two more companies who have like 80% of the market, right? And each of these uh, four companies are somewhere between the 15 to 25% market share is how I sort of project out how steady state is going to be, you know, 10 or 15 years down the line. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, that is if, you know, the Chinese government lets it happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm the last one to discount BYD uh, as a company, just when looking at BYD and not, of course, comparing. FST, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy how <coughs> ahead Tesla looks to be compared to everybody else. But the fact is that <coughs> we don't know what... Um, BYD has going on on that front at, at this point in time. We don't know that, right? Uh, we don't know a lot, lot of what other companies uh, are doing. Of course, we know what Ford is doing and we know what uh, GM is doing. And it's very clear, you know, that uh, they're not exactly catching up. But I do have a feeling that uh, they could license something like uh, Comma AI, which I believe will probably take an extra five to seven years compared to uh, FSD, but it'll get there. It'll get to the point where if FSD is live on roads, comma AI can also get there with like a lag of three, five years potentially. And those initial three to five years is Tesla's opportunity, right? Um, apart from that, and of course, it's going to be priced such that it will not be available to a bunch of people, but um, uh, well, uh, it's it's uh, really an LP game at this point in time to sort of maximize either reach or maximize profitability. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask Lee was um, that we've seen that, uh, you know, Tesla stock has been falling for the last 13 months. There was, of course, a spike in April, around, you know, the 1st of April, I remember, where a lot of uh, money sort of went into Tesla stock and then it sort of fell back again. But uh, Tesla's EPSs have been improving uh, every quarter, uh, pretty much in a straight line. At what point does it get so absolutely ridiculous that uh, fund managers, you know, uh, investors, etc., they're just going to be like, hey, to heck with ESG and to heck with uh, credit ratings and to heck with other stuff. I'm just going to invest in this company and break my own rules because, uh, you know, uh, price earnings ratio of, I don't know, 10 doesn't make sense or 5 doesn't make sense. At what point yeah. uh, does well, it get so, so ridiculous? Like we hear about 50% increase in production or delivery every year. But <clears throat> um, due to the operating leverage they have and the fact that the increase in, produ increase in production will be the new cars that cost less to make and will have more profit margin, more gross margin and more actual profit margin. And then the OPEX per vehicle reduces dramatically people don't realize so much that a 50% increase in production actually means 100% increase in earnings. So I think that's going to surprise people. And I mean, I mean, I don't even think 50% is even priced into the market. Anyway, maybe they're thinking 20 or 30%. But I mean, this year, we're, we're going to hit 50%, give or take, right? Uh, next year, I mean, 
Elon said we're at uh, like 40,000 vehicles a day, uh, um, sorry, a week at the end of this year, right? So that's like 2.1 million vehicles a year run rate already. So if we do 1.4 million this year, then we're pretty much already at a run rate of 50% uh, increase in production at the end of this year. And we've still got the whole of next year to try and increase that a little bit more with these massive new factories that have barely begun. So I'm, I'm expecting, I mean, as, as long as we get this 4680 ramp and it happens as well as we're hearing. And, and there was some news saying that they're even expecting 75,000 Model Ys next quarter, which is which from, from Texas, sorry, which I thought was huge um, for some, from, from some people who, who are reliable apparently. Um, so, I mean, if that happens, that's great. I mean, that's brilliant. That's over volume production and we'll all be very happy and, and, um, yeah. So anyway, like, like we're, we're talking probably 2.3 to 2.5 million next year, which is more than a 50% increase, which again, is going to be more than a hundred percent profit, especially if it's things like model Y's that have a higher ASP, a higher gross margin, higher profit. Um, so I think, I think something like that is really what we're going to see. I mean, the trailing 12 months right now earnings is just over $11 billion next year. If we hit around 2.3 it's going to be closer and including the subsidies and things it could be more like 35 billion dollars so that is triple earnings from where we are now and that's that that so this time next year well um maybe actually sorry more like uh, january 2024 when we get the final q4 2023 earnings report for the whole of 2023 earnings we would if the um if the stock price was the same as it was now the PE ratio would be one third what it is currently. To put it another way, so that that's the kind of perspective I take. So, so perhaps to answer your question, that that might be what changes people's minds. But it's, it's a year away, you know. <laughs> and then on on volume growth, do you believe that? Tesla is properly anticipating the size of the market for a Cybertruck. You know, we've seen them kind of underestimate the size of the market for Model 3. Uh, they know that the size of Model Y market is huge, and we really still haven't figured out what the limit is on that and whether or not they have anticipated it correctly. Um, but as far as you can tell, like one one factory in Austin, it's unclear what the total end state run rate will be out of that. But do you think that that is enough to supply demand for Cybertruck when every other vehicle that they produce is just category destroying in its ability to eat up demand. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, look how, look how many F one fifties there are in the States, right? Almost a million a year. Uh, it's a very popular car and you know, you go parts of America and all you see is pickup trucks. It's, it's, it's huge. America's a massive pickup truck market. And on top of that, they're, they're very profitable cars, you know, um, and they they have a high ASP. Like, so, but the Tesla have no paint shop in this Cybertruck factory either, which is, which is quite a limiting factor. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it, we, we, we don't know. It, I mean, and they're using these revolutionary new, new designed uh, manufacturing processes in the Cybertruck. So perhaps, perhaps they could get to a million a year, maybe even two, two and a half years of ramping up. I, I'd say that it wouldn't be far off that maybe seven or 800,000. Um, and, and then, you know, but, but, but I think we're not just talking about pickup truck owners here. We're talking about lots of people wanting a Cybertruck, not because it's a pickup truck, because it's a Cybertruck. My, my dad ordered one, you know, my, my dad would never bought a pickup truck in a million years, right? I've, I've ordered them, you know, it's like, 
uh, like we, we aren't just pickup truck territory here. We are people who want to be in the future and have like the most badass car there is in the world, right? This is this is like it's not and and, and pickup truck owners probably want them as well, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We do we do, but Tesla will just control it with pricing most likely. And if you've got a waiting list two three years, I, I guess the price would just go up or or something along those lines like we've seen. But yeah, we I mean. It, it, it's, I mean, and this is just private owners. There's all these other applications we can think of, like, you know, the police might want them or the army or, you know, corporations and, and things like that. And then imagine uh, when they have FSD as well and you can take it to the hardware shop. It can drive itself to the hardware shop and you can put all this stuff. Well, so, so someone's building on, on a construction site and they need all, all these extra supplies and they just send it off to the hardware store. The hardware store puts it all in, in the vault, sends it back to you. You've saved yourself a trip and you've got what you needed in like half an hour rather than waiting for someone to deliver it to you or whatever. There, I mean, the applications are endless when you add FSD into it. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it could be it could be pretty exciting. Yeah, it, they'll sell a lot. I was going to ask you about FSD. Uh, so you, you started, but I wanted to, I, this, this is how I conceptualize something and, and I may be wrong, but I figure if Tesla continues to make money and they pile up cash, even if the stock stayed at $4, if it dropped to four, eventually all that cash would come out in dividends anyway. So I think eventually the cash that's piled up, we will see it just when that time will, will be. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, I, I was going to ask you about FSD and I'd heard that Neo, and I, I presume you're familiar with the Neo brand that they were, uh, they had a partnership with Tencent and they're working on uh, level four, level five, uh, full self-driving. Now, you know, they have uh, very few cars in the market and their data is limited, so it may take some time. And I think Baidu is also working on some type of uh, full self-driving. But in terms of full self-driving, how do you conceptualize that in terms of figuring out its value to Tesla? And separate and apart from that, I think it's a confusing topic in terms of valuing, because I think it has a a, a super amount of value without getting regulatory approval. So I know there's discussion about regulatory approval. At some point in time, it's going to work. And whether you get regulatory approval or not, it's going to work. And you're going to be able to sell it. You may, may not be able to sell it as, you know, level four, level five, but it'd be functioning as such. And I think that the urgency of getting regulatory approval is really not such an urgency. The urgency is perfecting it. Perfecting it will generate the, the money and it'll be kind of a self-fulfilling uh, a, a prophecy. In the U.S., it's kind of a complicated uh, situation because if it's a state or a city that wants to regulate, they can. But if it, it affects interstate commerce, then it has to be regulated by the federal government. So if you set up, for example, if you set up full self-driving Las Vegas, but cars went to California, that would theoretically impact interstate commerce and would make that a a federal, not a state issue. So it's going to be very, it's going to be a very confusing and um, uh, very specific uh, regimen of regulations. But again, I think FSD will have great value. And I was curious how you see it and how you value it yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, when you do the robotaxi numbers, the profits just tower over everything, really. And so, I mean, it just puts it in perspective. If FSD is, is to that level, it's reached there and regulation and everything and it's robotaxis, 
then it's, it's like a lottery ticket for us investors if it if it comes off you know we, we've like we've got five of the six numbers already we just need that last one right it's it's looking good but um and, and we might hit it we might hit it in the next few years or even a decade whatever but um it, the the profits that come from robo taxis when you remove the element of human labor uh it, it's phenomenal you know and a car working you know five seven times as much as a, as a regular car that's parked all the time so that that's really the main thing of fsd but yeah sure for for, for personal driving as well i mean what does it cost fifty thousand dollars a year to have your own chauffeur probably more if it lives in with you that you can use it anytime you want i mean now we can basically all afford our own chauffeur it, it's huge and it's way more convenient so um you know fifteen thousand dollars who a lot, of, a lot of people would justify that or 200 300 a month whatever because it means you you know maybe spend an hour a day in the car that you now can focus on i mean i, I could just write scripts for for my videos you know and that that you know you're paying a few dollars an hour to, to be self-driven and i'm earning you know much more money than that it, it's return on investment really and, and people can be on the phone on their computers doing work or or just uh they're watching netflix whatever it's worth it's worth that rather than as Elon calls it, stick being in soul crushing traffic all day. So there's, there's definitely lots of value there if it, if it hits. But actually, what, what I think it was uh, on Fazar's show uh, yesterday, I think I was listening to it and they were saying it was more about the liability with, with insurance, um, helping with regulation, which was, which I thought was interesting. I didn't realize that. So, um, the fact that, and I think this is actually the whole reason Tesla have insurance, the main reason it's sure it's vertical integration somewhat and saves, saves people money, but. I mean, it's pretty obvious. The main reason is like, who else is going to insure their robot taxis, right? They they need to have their own insurance and and cover that liability. So yeah, I, I mean, they they're doing the right things, and 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 like you're saying, interstate states will have different different regulation as well. And um, it it will be it probably will start in such, just some states. Perhaps we've talked about Las Vegas. We often hear about because they've got the high uh, the um, already got the tunnel there and the boring tunnel, and they they know it there and obviously the strip just having rubber taxis going around the strip would would be a, a big enough market to test it out uh, and it's not too hard too complicated complicated road either um so yeah you just got to start somewhere um and other people have other theories on on how it would start but yeah for me fsd like the main the main thing really is just those those rubber taxi numbers look look incredible yeah um as for the competition neo yeah they I think they like to talk talk a big game and and they say oh okay we've got cameras up a little bit higher in our car so we can see over there that's a better idea we've got higher definition cameras so we can see further uh we've got you know faster faster processors or whatever um so that they try and they try and compete on on the specifications on paper but in reality it, it's different you know uh the, the high definition cameras they, they can't be processed fast enough by the by the processors anyway it's it's what the the, the cameras are for the computers, not for us. You know, that, that's for the, the AI to work out and, and, and process as fast as possible to realize what's happening. And, you know, we, we've seen um, AI day and what, what Tesla's doing. I, I don't think, I don't think we can assume, I think we can assume that the BYD is, is nothing close to, to what they're doing or they do or anyone like that. Uh, or Tencent, like, gosh, the, the level, I mean, like, it was painful just watching uh, AI day. And, it, and the second one, like, like thinking like, oh my God, I'm just so glad I don't have to try and work all this stuff out as a living because it would hurt my brain because this is some complicated stuff, you know? Uh, so I, I feel for them and they're, and they're doing it and uh, and then like summoning, just like summoning out of car parks as well. Like, 
oh my gosh, it, it is that complicated. Jeez, that's hard. How is it? And then like, they're thinking all these ways to do it. Like, wow, guys, you, you're like, thanks. Like, good luck, because this is tough. Um, so, and, you know, this is the best engineers in the world who who want all work, want to work for Tesla. Uh, Tesla have the biggest budget in the world. Uh, and it, it's, and they, they have the data as well, of course. I mean, no one else has the data, the insane amount of data they have for all this. So yeah, I, uh, I'm, Maybe maybe BYD would catch up, but I think I think it's probably more likely that the well maybe not BYD, but the others they're just going to license Tesla technology. There's, there's no way to compete, right? Ford, GM, eventually, if they're smart enough and they realize, oh, no one's buying our cars anymore because they want self-driving, well, Tesla's offering to license it. Let's let's just do it. I mean, if, if there'll come a time, if, I mean, they don't want to. I'm sure they don't. They don't want to use super, their superchargers, but I mean, there comes a time. It's like you know, do or die. I'm I'm sure they'll they'll capitulate eventually. I'm um, over so time. that, yeah, that, that brings up, I've just put this model together in the last uh, couple days and it's specifically tied to that intermediate time in between when FSD reaches a safety threshold where Tesla is really comfortable with anyone in the entire fleet using FSD. And, um, but before any sort of robo taxi, is approved from a regulatory standpoint. I know that's a topic that gets a lot of pushback from a lot of investors. And I, I think it is a little bit fair for people to criticize, you know, that is great as an end state, but how do we get there? And so this is just my attempt to model kind of that in-between phase. And uh, so it just assumes that FSD is gonna continue to improve um, and that Tesla will really try to monetize it to the best of their ability, even before going to a robo-taxi uh, future. And really the purpose is just to kind of set a floor on what we can expect from Tesla for FSD SaaS revenues. And um, so I'd just be curious to kind of get your thoughts on this and I'll, I'll walk through the model very, very briefly. Um, I, I modeled it out to, you know, I think this is extremely conservative, but I only put a, about 10 million deliveries in 2030 just because the target audience that this is really aimed at, that's a number that they're going to be a lot more comfortable with. And so we see, you know, average CAGR is much lower than Tesla's 50% goal um, all the way from now until 2030 to get to that 10 million units. Um, the installed base kind of growing there along with those deliveries. And then it's assuming an FSD subscription take rate that kind of does not include anyone who purchases the full um, the full upfront FSD. I think that in this scenario, what I'm thinking through is that Tesla will likely price the full one-time purchase prohibitively to try and drive more subscription revenue. Um, and then what I've done here is for pricing on that, on ARR for those subscriptions, um, just assumed a very conservative $50 a month in 2023 on that 20% take rate. And then moving up to a little bit more in 2024, this is just a weighted average of a poll that I took on um, Twitter for, you know, if people had FSD that they had to pay attention at all times, but they didn't have to uh, intervene more than like five times a month, how much would they be willing to pay for that? This was the weighted average of what they said that they would be willing to pay. And then in 2025, I'm assuming that you get to a point where Tesla also has an option to 
only have to pay attention if alerted by the car. And so that was a different uh, poll. And then there was a different amount for that. Uh, let's see. So the weighted average on the level two poll is about $66, about $156 for level three and then level four. And this is just a real quick and dirty poll for just kind of a thought exercise. Um, you know, I think that $300 is way conservative for a full level four RoboTaxi subscription functionality. Um, but I'm just using those numbers because that's what I got back based on the community. And, you know, these are obviously people who've never experienced that product. They don't know how valuable it is until they do. And so I think likely it would be much higher than that, but just, just to be conservative. And so here in 2025, what I did is just average those two numbers. I'm assuming that Tesla will sell both versions, the level two and the level three version. Some people will choose level two, some people will choose level three. And then in 2026, that they would reach that level four capability where you actually don't have to pay attention at all. You can actually send your car to pick someone up, but this is completely within a personal context, no commercial use whatsoever. Um, and so then if you run those numbers all the way out to 2030, you get a pure SaaS revenue, which should be pure gross profit of about $52 billion. Um, and then depending on how you want to do your DCF, I was doing a hurdle rate of 20%. Uh, I'm assuming that's 60% likely. And so I assign an incremental value of $112.50 to that at whatever point that, you know, in my mind, it's fair to assign that value as soon as Tesla really send signals to the market that they're going to pursue this type of aggressive pricing strategy to maximize take rate and revenue. So anyways, I, this is, yeah, just something that I happened to, to be working on the past couple of days. And since you brought that up, I wanted to, I wanted to throw that over to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think, um, yeah, two, two, three hundred dollars. I think is is easily affordable for FSD. And but like you say, the, the SaaS revenue it's accumulative, and it will. And um, investors love SaaS. It's just residual income coming in all re regularly. Uh, Ten million. Yeah, that's conservative as well. Hope, well, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it adds up. I think um, you know. You, and what, so, what was the percentage take rate we're at in, in 20, uh, 2030? Was it fifty percent? So yeah, fifty five. I mean. I think that if it's if it is as good as we'd hope by then, then I mean, it, remember this is so my Tesla thought process drivers. there was that it just wouldn't be available in all jurisdictions at that point right. in time, and also that there would be a significant amount of the fleet that was tied up in commercial fleets, um, which this specific model is not necessarily designed to capture, and so there may be additional types of revenue that they're deriving from a, a commercial FSD subscription that this is not meant to touch. So this is purely just personal use FSD subscription SaaS revenue. Hmm. I mean, one other thing is, you know, some people might think, oh, $300 a month, that's a lot of money or, or whatever. But this is also for a cross-section of uh, Tesla drivers. So if you're a Tesla driver, a Tesla owner, you have been able to afford a Tesla, which means you, you probably uh, uh, have higher uh, income than the average anyway. So more people, more Tesla owners can probably afford this more than the average person for a start. So $3 a month doesn't sound like much at all. It's $10 a day, pretty much. Um, you know, if you value your time enough, most people would make $30, $40, $50 an hour who, uh, who own the Tesla to $10 an hour to have an hour of your time every day uh, in a much more enjoyable way is 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 beneficial. Um, but yeah, so those numbers stack up. So, But um, when when you compare them to the RoboTaxi numbers though, they, they again, 
the robot taxi numbers just get crazy. Um, but for FSD subscription, then this is, uh, yeah, with all these numbers, they seem about right. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I'd, I'd give, and also I'd give uh, a P ratio of, um, you know, I'd give it a high P ratio for, for SAS, um, pretty high, especially when it's accumulating like this, because, because it, it's obviously, you know, more and more cars come on the road and, but not only that, it's, it's, it's also the second, the used, the used cars as well, the, the, when they get sold, people are going to be using the FSD then as well. It's not just going to be all these new, uh, so all, all addition to the fleet will be accumulating this and and also on top of that tesla would hopefully be exponentially making more cars each year so it should accumulate exponentially on top of that uh within time so it wouldn't from 50 billion dollars a year it wouldn't take too long to hit the hit the 100 billion dollars a year and then you put a a, a good p ratio on there uh, maybe uh, with with just sas alone part maybe 40 or something like that in uh in a normal in a normal market environment maybe even higher so i mean that when you know we're talking Four or five trillion dollars eventually win time, uh, maybe early 2030s. Got it. Thanks. Uh, Hans, did you have any uh, thoughts there? You're good? Perfect. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing this. Uh, really appreciate it. Ishan, did you have any uh, any thoughts on this or did you want to uh, take it to a different topic? Uh, what do you think? We're an hour and a half in. I'm thinking we go two because we could go for 18 million hours the way this conversation is <laughs> going. But I think putting a ceiling at two hours is probably wise. And we'll do a little bit of Q&A at the end. But Ishan, go for it. No, no, I think uh, this was amazing. This One thing that um, I sort of wanted to touch upon is the FSD take rate. And if you just look at um, somebody who's looking to buy a $30,000 vehicle today, right? Um, and let's say gets an APR of 5%, five-year payback. It's gonna be somewhere around the five hundred sixty to six hundred dollar per month uh, payment. You add a couple of hundred dollars for fuel at twenty four miles a gallon, thousand miles driven. Uh, how much would insurance be? About two fifty for a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. Am I right? So two. all in all, you're talking about what uh, eight hundred dollars, eight fifty dollars a month. Uh, that somebody's spending on a vehicle if they're driving a uh, thousand miles a month, right? So uh, what that, like for somebody who can afford to spend that kind of money uh, on a vehicle, what would it take for them to buy a $50,000, uh, let's say model three today, and then add on top of it a $200 a month or a $100 a month, or even a $50 a month, uh, subscription, right? And today it's 200, so let's take that number. Uh, it still doesn't match up uh, on a one-to-one -one scale, right? I was just doing a small calculation and uh, for a $50,000 uh, vehicle, the monthly payment comes out to somewhere around $950. So which is already over and above, uh, or like crosses the all-in cost for uh, driving a $30,000 vehicle today. So of course, if you're you know, spending 40 or $45,000 already on a vehicle, it might make sense. So um, the from, from a pure economics point of view, we might have to look at the fact that the take rate might not sort of climb up as much. Of course, uh, you know, people paying for the additional safety, but uh, it's not something that people generally do, you know. Uh, 
people don't account for one off chances i mean people wouldn't buy insurance if uh, uh, they were not mandated by law right so fsd is almost like insurance where you're paying for something that will probably uh, keep you safer than not having it but uh, it's just again uh, from a pure economics point of view we are not at that point yet where we have achieved full cost parity in terms of you know monthly uh, payments for for people to actually consider and uh, fsd so yeah of course somebody who's spending you know 60 70 grand a month has disposable income for sure but that 55% especially uh, once tesla goes da- uh, you know down the market into um, you know selling vehicles that are let's say sub $4000 uh, we might have to account for a lower take rate compared to your model just something i was thinking I mean, as uh, you've shown you if you've got a um you know opportunity costs though you deciding to drive for an hour instead of you know you could have a nap you could sleep all the way to work and uh you know you've just spent the first hour of your day which is sometimes the most productive when you have the best energy wasting it in traffic when you could instead sleep all the way to work and then hit that first hour at work be more productive be more efficient and and get more done or or you could have done a lot of your work on the way there and and it's probably roughly about you know 10 dollars a day or maybe maybe 7 dollars a day you're paying to have this uh, FSD in an hour's drive i mean it it's so easy to try for a lot of people to try and make 7 dollars in an hour one way or another to to cover those economies really like you're saying in my opinion and maybe not everyone but but a lot of people you know a, a lawyer or something easy Yeah and yeah and uh, as a parent point, like I was just going to add as a parent yeah the ability to have the car go drop off teenagers at their events without having to drive them to all of them would be a huge win like I can't even tell you how much that I would pay for that yeah. <laughs> No and once we get to the point to where it's for all the disabled yeah Yeah no uh, you're right like once it's available like out of beta and you can legally do it for sure man uh, you know the take rate would go absolutely up but then the take rate i would assume at that point drops to zero because that's when robo taxi goes live but uh, in the meantime st- till the time it, you know regulations still uh, limited to actually having somebody on the seat uh, what i feel and to uh, lee your point uh, is that the people who value that hour of their life are the people who are already making uh, possibly you know a few x the minimum wage right uh, and they already have disposable income to pay for fsd and that's potentially a smaller segment of people than a lot of us who would gladly uh, you know drive that extra hour and say the 200 So a simple example they, is would you go out would you go out grocery shopping or just order in right but equally the, this uh, consumer had the x amount to buy the tester in the first place as well so this this is likely the market segment of people who can afford that however if you compare it to robo taxi it's like oh who's going to pay extra for robo taxi drive itself well the competition is the yeah. the uh, the gas you paying there's no yeah. gas cost you know uh, there's no driver cost or anything like that so it does become for for people who can't afford that like you're saying the, the robo taxi is the option right you just it's just 100%. not your own private car but it's still going to be a lower cost form of transport in any other way 
and you can still do your work on top of that or watch Netflix or have an app or whatever, you know? Yeah, 100%. But again, that potentially is going to be a flip of a switch, which is still from a regulatory point of view, a bit of ways away. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But so for the other people who who have their own Tesla, though, and will and can pay the the they can afford and justify the FSD FSD take. I, I think you know if FSD was level five and, and perfect, whatever. I I would say like probably the, the majority of of Tesla owners probably would would upgrade or pay the yeah. pay this monthly fee. I I would I would imagine it. it it's it's absolutely amazing. I mean, compare it to her, like so two thousand two and a half thousand dollars a year. Compared to a chauffeur, I mean, the overall cost of a chauffeur, living chauffeur, I don't know, hundred grand a year, maybe seventy grand a year. But that's a big difference. This is what technology does. It, it takes us, allows us to to do live like kings, like for the, for a fraction of the cost. Like uh, right now, um, I have I have like I don't know a millions a million uh, albums I can listen to on, on Spotify. You know, uh, that would have cost me ten million dollars back in the day. Now it's just a, just a ten dollars a month. It's and the Netflix is the same. You know, this is what technology does. It leverages us to to live like more uh, luxury, and and um, that this FSD is just another example of taking us to this sort of level. No, you're right. Uh, but also FSD, if it reaches that level, I mean, it's not going to be fifteen thousand dollars. It's going to be a hundred thousand, potentially two hundred thousand. You know, so. Um, Whatever FSD is gonna make back in terms of earnings is gonna get amortized over the, you know, this thing. So Tesla is definitely not gonna be selling it for fifteen grand. Uh, that's a, at least how I look at it. And perhaps it'll not. Yeah, that's that's a good assumption in the model. Yeah. Is that the they'll sell it for so much money that for personal use the people who own a Tesla will not pay whatever that price is that they'll just go mm -hmm. for the subscription. True. I was going to say and another. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard. Oh, you could finish. You could finish. Go ahead. I was just saying that another angle to this would, you know, some talk about uh, FSD per mile, right? Which is a very interesting concept. Like if you're a robo taxi, you're driving five times what a personal vehicle is, you're paying five times the cost. So that's another very interesting. Anyways, yeah, Richard, uh, first yes. Um, I was thinking of in terms of insurance and how that plays in. So. At some point in time, based on the uh, ability of FSD, Tesla is going to give away the insurance. It, that'll be a benefit. Why wouldn't they? If, if, the, if the FSD is so good, they're not going to have car accidents, then the cost of the insurance, the actual cost, will be so minimal. But I think like Tesla, the insurance itself is an amazing concept, a way of Tesla preserving the value of its fleet because GM doesn't have an insurance company. So if GM has a, if you have a GM car and you have an accident, you go to an auto body shop that probably rips you off and charges you X dollars. In, in the case of Tesla, everything is captive. You know, it goes, it goes back to the vertical integration. They're going to do the body work. They're going to do all the work. They're going to do an algorithm on the insurance. So the cost will be the exact correct cost and the lowest cost. They'll do it, get a discount on the body work. And then they'll be able to preserve their fleet, which includes all their leased vehicles, all the fleet vehicles. And that, and since the, vehicle, the vehicles themselves have a much longer life, that's going to be end up in being profit every turn, every flip, every. And I don't think that's a calculable uh, figure. And at some point in time, when FSD is so good, everybody who gets it gets it free insurance. 
everybody who doesn't will buy insurance, probably be required to buy Tesla insurance, and Tesla will be able to preserve those vehicles, even the ones that are not getting FSD. And I don't, I don't think that's a calculable figure. I think it's a, that's a hidden profit in the long term. Yeah, I, I agree um, with the insurance thing as well. Like, um, you know, if Tesla are paying for the insurance, then you crash your Tesla, you take it to the Tesla service center, they repair it with the Tesla parts that they get at cost, literally. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you don't have some uh, some service centers trying to rip off uh, the insurance company and GM trying to rip off the, the insurance company as well. It's, it's all vertically integrated, which means they can essentially charge less for insurance. That simple. Plus, you know, it's just going to be a better version of insurance, more simple and everything. Also, also like there's other opportunity costs or other applications you can think of with FSD. For example, um, if like uh, flying is, is kind of expensive, right? But if you wanted to maybe go uh, travel a couple of states away, uh, you could just do it at nighttime and go to sleep and your Tesla will drive you there and you'll be there in the morning. And you didn't have to go and get to a, go to an airport. You didn't have to fly on a plane. You didn't have to. It, it cost you hardly anything, you know. Um, so it, it, it's all these other applications that will open up when people get their heads around. It's like, oh my gosh, this car it, it drives itself. You know, the biggest cost of of driving. People are like, oh, the gas is costing this much, blah, blah blah. No, the biggest cost is your time having to drive the car, and that's what they're eliminating here. This they are eliminating the biggest cost of driving. I actually think the biggest cost of driving is having to be attentive. I mean, I'm in LA. I have to pay attention. After I drive for an hour, it felt like I drove for five hours. And if I didn't have to pay attention, that would really change the experience. On the on the insurance liability, there is one aspect of it that I'm curious to get your take on specifically, Richard. So, you know, I 100% agree that the cost of claims, you know, the cost of overall liability for non-lethal claims should be drastically lower for Tesla. That said, what is the payout for Tesla specifically on a fatality versus any other company? You know, is that the same? Is it 10x? Is it 100x? How, how does that uh, kind of change? It doesn't. It should be the same. If, it, if there's an accident and you're injured, does it make a difference who did it? The damages would be the same. Okay. Go ahead, Ishan. Yeah, but the economics behind it is really, really interesting. You know, so uh, what Richard said, and I'm imagining, is essentially buy FSD for 300 bucks a month, and you buy insurance bundled with it for an additional potentially 50 bucks a month, or you could buy just insurance for 200 bucks a month. Whereas insurance outside by Geico or somebody else is going to be like 400, 300 or 400 bucks a month. And you know, within that, you're actually getting uh, the entire FSD plus insurance package. So it might actually just move the needle. So you're right. I mean, the yeah, it's it's frighteningly good the economics behind that. How do you guys view? So I've been I've been reading through some of the comments. And by the way, shout out to everybody who's uh, been listening so far. It and I'm 45 in, but like it feels like we just got started. This this podcast has been so incredibly. Look, it's the first time we even got a chance to put this up. Thank you, producer wife, because <laughs> it's been so information dense. Um, how do you guys sort of reconcile? And I can sort of give you, give you my take. We've been talking a lot. Uh, we've been focused on FSD for the last say. 
uh, I don't know, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes of the discussion, it seems like, for, for, for a little while. And as I read through the comments, it seems like uh, there, there are some folks that are saying, well, okay, but where is it? Like we're talking about things that are still coming down the pipeline. They're massive uh, earnings potentials for, for the company. And yes, it could be completely transformational, but the proof is not in the pudding. The stock is reacting in a, a certain way this year that it's kind of like, okay, but but who cares? Like we're talking about a, a company that's quote unquote underperforming versus the market. Uh, and I know Lee, you talked about this previously, and maybe we'll start with you. How do you reconcile this technology being so game changing and can be so incredibly valuable to the company, but it's not here yet? Um, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I personally, I, I don't think very much of it is is baked into the stock price as it is. I think we even had issues with FSD and the stock price has reacted more and dropped more value than was ever even included in there in the first place. And uh, in my models, I, I, I don't generally put much FSD into it, uh, into the future of it. I try and value it without it. And just those margins from the cars enough are, pl are plenty enough for me to, to get excited about the future of the stock price. But yeah, like I, I like I call it, I, it's a lottery ticket, you know, it, it's, and when we've got a lot of those numbers already and we just we're close and I, I haven't felt it hands on like you um, with with the FSD and uh, and beta and, and version 11 coming as well. Like um, I, it, these are these are big jumps now we're seeing, though, from from the videos I watch and fewer and fewer interventions each time getting safer and safer. It's um, I mean, I, I, you, you probably notice it more when I mean, I just, I just can't compare it, but uh when you see a new update and you just notice how much better something is or how it's, it drives faster and, and that these, these are, these are big updates happening. Uh, and eventually it's, it's, you know, it's like the, um, it, it's just incrementally each time it gets that much better. It's not, it's not like a switch where some people think it's like suddenly FSD is finished. Okay. That's it. It's done. Wow. We've, it's, it's, it's this, it's, uh, it's the March of nines as Elon calls it, you know, it, it's first, it becomes safer than a human. Then it becomes this much safer than a human. And then, this much safer than the best driving human. Then Elon talks about eventually better than James Bond driving 100 miles an hour down, you know, Fifth Avenue, New York, right? <laughs> they will be able to do that in the roadster. So um, it, it, it's, it's just going to slowly happen and roll out and, and there'll be times. But and I guess it's up to Tesla kind of to decide, like with the data. It's like, OK, look, this is the data saying now it's saving people's lives and they go to the government. Like government, it's your job to save your save your lives of your, of your citizens. This saves your lives. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> they have to do whatever they can to to try and convince the government. And, um, you know, but it's Uber managed to get around it with all, all the issues they had. And um, I think, you know, Tesla eventually data. Even Steve Jobs never argued with the data, right? He, he Steve Jobs was amazing visionary. He's like, no, it has to be like this. This is how it should be. But when there was data presented in front of him, even, even he had to, you know, capitulate to, okay, all right, guys, the data's spoken. Uh, and, if, and eventually, even if even if the government don't, uh, you know, respond immediately, it's like, okay, that's still not safe enough. They're saying it's like, well, eventually these March of Nines will continue, and it will just become so much safer that surely they can't ignore it, and the people will stop. Saying, look, look, government, why, why are you not saving our lives more? We, we want this FSD. We want it regulated. You know, that, that's what I think. Got it, uh, Richard Hans or Ishan. Any, any thoughts to piggyback on? I was gonna say, if you're short term, then you're screwed. So I, unfortunately, if you are short term, the market is the market, and it's there's no way around it. If you're long term, the stock is not the business. 
And again, like I said, I figure if 10 years from now, Tesla stock is at $10 and they have $150 trillion in the bank, that money will come out some way as dividends, uh, you know, some way. So I think, you know, if the business does, does well long-term, eventually we'll see it. That's a great point. Yeah, I think, I think the, what this conversation has helped me sort of reframe in my mind is that the, the business itself is playing in a, in a uh, sort of industry field, whatever you want to call it, that for the next five to 10 years, the world is 100% going to move towards regardless of what we decide. It doesn't matter. The world is moving to this place. And it just so happens that Tesla has invested a lot of time, resources, talent, uh, leadership, regardless of how it's treating the current time in, in respects to inv investor relations, so on and so forth, which can very much improve and it can do so in a big way. Regardless, the world is going to one place and Tesla has all the pieces in place. I, I and, and that's like, that's just what it seems like. <laughs> and I feel like that's a good thing. So uh, Hans, go ahead. <laughs> yep. One of the things that this conversation just reminded me of was, you know, in talking about something like BYD versus Tesla and the competitive landscape, that all these companies are really stuck in a place where they have to focus on trying to compete with Tesla. And Tesla doesn't really care about any of all that. And so if anyone who's read Simon Sinek, you know his uh, discussions about the finite game versus the infinite game. And so he has the entire auto industry and then a lot of other industries, energy industries that are all playing finite games while he's playing an infinite game. And that's the thing that I think shines through to the community is that they see what he's doing. He's doing for the love of what he's doing, which is kind of Simon's definition of the infinite game, like a player who's just going to play because they think it's important and they're not necessarily focused on anyone else and they're just going to continue to play forever independent of any competitive threats or anything that's going on around them um and so yeah just a great reminder of that and then uh, once again excited to always watch and uh and just see how how this game plays out for sure Go ahead, Ishan, and then we'll do uh, the poll results and a little bit of q and if, if okay with everybody. Go for it. It's it's very hard to say anything after what Hans just said. So beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I, you know, here's Ishan with all the questions, of course. So I still wanted to ask like one, I think, final set of thoughts uh, from me about Tesla's other businesses. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, how how do you look at stuff like uh, the bot Tesla Energy, the solar business, which apparently is not uh, you know picking up as much as we wanted to, and then potentially Tesla actually buying Elon's other company, something like you know the Boring Company for a dedicated robot taxi service, which is actually much easier to bring to market. You know, uh, ro robot taxi within those tunnels itself. Um, or buying something, you know, like a Neuralink that essentially provides um, a human interface to the Tesla ecosystem, which is a car at this point in time, but will be potentially, you know, uh, what Google Nest is. Like, you know, you control your home, you control your vehicle, it's everything via Neuralink and Tesla might buy that. It's just, you know, shot in the dark, but how do you think of 
the Elon ecosystem that he's building in, uh, how Tesla might actually extract or bring that into the Tesla fold itself. Yeah, like Fazar was saying, like everything in the future that we're seeing, it's kind of like Tesla has already planted all the seeds ready for this future that we're expecting. They're there already. They 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 did it. And when the future comes, it's like all these seeds would have manifested and grown into this amazing company. So for energy, I think of it as um, as a return on investment. So uh, basically, you buy these these mega packs or whatever, and within three four years, they've paid themselves off. Uh, same same for in-house power walls, right? Power walls now pretty expensive. Okay, they they might not be on that level. They're probably better for other applications currently. But uh, Elon said they're going to go over to iron cathode to power wall. I imagine eventually you get the price of a power wall down to maybe five, four, three, maybe three thousand dollars, and it has to be probably even lower, perhaps version in in other developing nations. Um, where, but on the other hand, power does cost more there because they usually a lot of them use diesel generators, you know. So you add solar and a power wall onto that, a low-cost LFB one, um, might not look as pretty, but uh, it's going to save them more money. And it's going to be better for the environment because diesel is probably the worst way to create energy. So, yeah, I, I, look, at, I look at energy as, as, at least anyway, the megapacks and, and the, the storage. It's a return on investment for anyone who can buy it. If we bought them in our house, and well, right now it's a return on investment, but it might only be a 6 or 7% return on investment with the current prices. But when they get those prices down, maybe it'll be a 20, 25% return on investment. Who doesn't want that? You know, who doesn't want to buy, uh, save money on energy and, and pay pay off this price in three or four years? It's That's a good investment. The same with solar as well. Um, but yeah, Tesla solar, we don't hear much about, and it, it probably isn't going where we, where we wanted it. On the other hand, like, I mean, the Chinese are, are doing so much in the way of solar. They, they are just, I've heard some, some people tell me some numbers and it, it's, it's phenomenal how many, how many panels they can make. So maybe, maybe Tesla don't need that. And maybe they'll just complement that with the, with their storage instead. Um, and, uh, and they, they don't need to do their own solar. And also, of course, we've got the robotaxi equivalent of, of energy and, and, uh, Tesla being able to have quite a complete market for energy. So anyone who wants to, sell some energy in, into the market or buy it at a, at, a, at a lower price and sell it on and store it in their own own uh, battery or whatever or in, even in their vehicles if it's vehicle to grid um that that's mind-blowing right so it's, it's create a, a complete free market of energy so when demand is is really high the prices go up and if you've got some you know 10 10 kilo hours or so stored in your battery you're like hey i can get some good money for that i'll i'll sell that down into the grid and then when uh, supply demand is probably down, uh, maybe it's a, a really sunny day and, and no one's at work, then you might charge it up again, or you might just uh, charge it up from your your own solar as well. Um, this this is they're all deflationary, you know. This is this is deflationary along with, along with robo taxis, of course, things like that. There's a lot of deflationary things happening, and and Tesla's, you know, buying a Tesla, you don't have to pay for gas again. Another deflationary cost of ownership for a vehicle, and. Uh, and, and what is wrong with deflationary? It's this is this is great economics. This is how we better our standard of living on, on a massive scale. And then when we're on that subject, there there is nothing really further that can do that than obviously robots. You know, do it taking over labor for us, uh, doing all these jobs that no one wants to do, and uh, time consuming, boring, dangerous, monotonous uh, production line. It just I mean, we can imagine like Tesla bots mining the nickel or lithium. Then Tesla bots refining them. Then Tesla bots in the in the factories. Like, 
well, hang on, where, where's any cost going here? Because the energy is also coming from solar. It's like, where, where, what, what, what's Tesla going to have to pay for in these cars and the cost? Eventually, it's like everything is, is paid for. The, the labor is free. The energy is free. It's like maybe they've got to pay for the tires and the chips. Like after that, like what else? You know, it, it, that starts to, to blow your mind, really, of how low a cost it is possible for them to make these cars. Um, and yeah, but then and then people are worried about, oh, then everyone's going to lose their jobs and they'll, everyone will be unemployed and everything. But I, I don't I don't know. And e Elon does talk about that as well and talks about uh universal basic income and stuff. But I don't know, it, it, history tends to show that uh, when we do have machines like this, uh, that replaces a lot of labor, it tends to be that it, it just improves our, our standard of living and, and the labor re reallocates and becomes more qualified. It has to learn a bit more that the layman job, uh, proletarians need to have to, you know, they have to go and study a bit more and learn a new trade, perhaps of how to, how to work a robot or program a robot or something like that instead. Um, you know, you might have a gardener come over to your house with his robot. And instead of him doing any gardening, you know, you tell him how you want your, your bushes or whatever, he just programs the robot and it does this amazing job. And you have this, this garden that you just, a human couldn't even do, you know, and it's just like, wow. And it's only $10 to have this done, where it might've taken 20 people, 20 hours or something to do otherwise. It's it's just uh, an increased standard of living and people will still want to spend what they have and they'll they'll create jobs and entrepreneurs will, and they'll think of new ideas with robots and stuff. And, you know, if, if even in a world of robots taking over all the labor, I mean, I can't even see that happening in 50, 100 years anyway. What a future. Richard, did you have any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just had a, a quickie. I, I I didn't want to be flippant to Tesla investors, so I made a comment earlier, and, and I didn't want to be misinterpreted because I am a Tesla investor, and I don't want it to come across that way. And I wanted to be honest and upfront how I think sometimes. So I was in a coma once for a while, and I came out of it fine, although that might be open to debate. Uh, <laughs> And uh, um, but I, I sometimes I I have these thoughts. Well, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I went into a coma and I woke up in 2033 and I didn't have to go through everything and I could see the end product. So those occur to me, you know, that I could miss all the interesting stuff that happens and just get the glory. And, uh, you know, that's it. Well, I'm very happy you're with us today, Richard. Um, very, very happy. You've been an incredible part of this community. Thank you so much. Um, let's do about 10, 15 minutes of Q and a, everybody comfortable with that. Lee, you good? Everybody good. Okay. Perfect. I see a lot of nods. Uh, so let's go ahead and end the, uh, the poll. We had a poll that was running, uh, for, I think about an hour producer wife. Let's go ahead and end that poll and, uh, let's show that. And then you, I'm sure you saw the comment in the in the comment section from me, but it wasn't really me, it was a uh, wife that said, if you do want to ask a question, put question before your question and then ask your question. Um, what were the results of the poll? Let's go ahead and pull that up. Does it come up on uh, on StreamYard? It doesn't. Man, that's kind of annoying, hey? Uh, so the question was, are you buying a Cybertruck? And 440 people voted. We have 58% yes. And 41% no. And somehow that doesn't add up to 100%. So I don't know what the hell is going on with YouTube. But 58% uh, yes. Let's call it 42% no. Thank you all very much for uh, answering that poll. And this was tied to the Cybertruck discussion we were having around margins. If you've joined us at this point, we've gone for two hours. The most Probably the most information-dense uh, uh, forum we've had in a, in a long time, if not ever. Thank you, Lee, so much for the wealth of knowledge you've brought. Let's go ahead and pull up some questions uh, in the Q&A session and uh, we'll take it from there. We'll go about 10, 15 minutes. 
Okay, perfect. Tony, thank you so much. $5 super chat. If there was a city where only FSD was legal on the city roads, do you think the current iteration of full self-driving would have a working functional robo-taxi? And this is a, a very fascinating question. I am, uh, so I have FSD, I've had FSD since I was at the company, like close to two years now, had one of the earliest builds and I've seen it transform into the product that we have now. Um, I don't think the current version will, but I think in some cities, it's probably not that far off. I, I have an expectation that sometime next year, there will be some city streets where the chances of something happening are super, super low. It could operate in some shape or form. Uh, but I don't think the current version uh, is ready for that. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I guess if it, if it was only Tesla's on the road. Yeah, that, that would be kind of cool, right? Maybe Starbase? Godly. They still don't talk to each other, though. And yeah, just watching people's intervention data, the real world is too messy, too many edge cases and corner cases, even if it was all Tesla's. Not today, unfortunately. If it was a city with just Teslas and the city and the roads were designed around FSD, then yeah, sure. I think so. Easily. Yishan? I would probably say that uh, yes, uh, if it was a city with just Teslas and uh, with Tesla FSD, because the Tesla could easily overfit to that one particular city, just like Tesla is very overfitted to a few uh, cities in California today, uh, and Elon admits it. I think where we are going with FSD is that based on the location that you're in, you'll have a specific model built or a little bit overfitted to a city. And then whenever you're moving from city to city, you can just, you know, the car will automatically download uh, a different model to actually get you through through that city. And that's probably where as a uh, software stack FSD might go. So yeah, it's quite possible. Thanks. Uh, let's do the next one. Ba -ba -da -da. And George, thank you so much. Shout out to George. Let me just say something real quick. I see George in the comments. He is, uh, he speaks his mind very clearly and he's not afraid to be counter. And I love that. So shout out to you, George. And thank you for always keeping it respectful and really uh, bring in just items for us to discuss openly. So I really appreciate you. If stock price S is a function of execution, but also trust. And I love how this is like a physics uh, math uh, equation. So um, the function of, of trust and uh, anyway, it equals execution times trust. What is Tesla currently doing on the second parameter? We know execution, no doubt. This is a fascinating question because I feel like it, it encapsulates a lot of the pain that uh, a lot of folks are feeling right now. Um, how do you guys think about the trust equation? Or do you feel like this is a, uh, uh, the correct formula to use to to uh, call it for stock price to be stock price. Uh, curious to hear y'all's thoughts. Anybody have a take? Silly's gonna uh, go on mute. I'll go for it. So it's, I think it's very 1984-ish, Mr. Orwell asking the question. Um, <laughs> I think that's, um, that's Elon's uh, deficiency. And we've talked about this. If you go back, we've talked about it over the last few months kind of that issue whether he would uh act credibly and he's not always act credibly and he's seemingly acted in his self-interest which he's entitled to but um 
that that seems to be a an issue but again you know that could be temporary too so this is di stock price obviously is dynamic we're in a crappy period so trust is probably at a low end and if stock price was at i i, I come back to this if stock price was 500 bucks uh nobody would give a give a crap about uh trust they'd be happy about the 500 stock price maybe improperly by the way maybe that's kind of the opposite problem when we are in the dumps we focus too much on being in the dumps and where everything's going great we ignore the negative and you know maybe we could like uh, work out some mid midpoint that uh, is actually a little more successful and a little less disruptive to our daily lives legal for yeah i agree i mean i think elon right now could say okay fsd is safer than a human we've, we've made it but it probably wouldn't even do much to stop price now um, I think his, his credibility right now and these sorts of things is, isn't it at the best. And like you're saying, we, in, when it is down like this, it is harder to believe these things. But if he'd said that when uh, it was booming, then it would be way more exciting and it, the stock price would feel it better. But I mean, Elon tells us things like it's going to be worth more than Aramco and Apple combined. You know, I mean, if you believe that, then it's going to be a really good return on investment. Insane. Um, but he's also said, you know, it would be 100 gigawatt hour do 100 gigawatt hours of um of 4680 cells in in 2022 back in battery day as well and then uh, last year they were saying 100 gigawatt hour run rate by the end of 2022 i mean i i would hope we hit 100 gigawatt hour run rate sometime next year if if we do then that's it we we it, it's the numbers will kick in and and like you you've been saying richard like how that 150 billion dollars or something will just accumulate in in there and you know they'll they'll it'll just be the money you can't ignore in there. And seeing those funds come in, seeing the profits, 100 gigawatt hour run rate of 4680 is insane. And you, if, if we could trust Elon that that's going to happen, then if, even even if it takes two years, it's such a big deal of how profitable it is. Um, I think that's what it is. So like, how, how much do you trust him now? You know, like it is, it's it's tougher when the stock price is down and, and, he's, and he's on Twitter and stuff. But um, so it, it is part of it. I uh, and I, I try and, and and validate as much as he says as possible, looking at tangible things that are actually happening within the company, and try and make up my own judgment from there. Really, Ishan, Hans? yeah, I think it's important to split. You know, there's trust in the company based on their actions, and then there's also an effect that public sentiment has on trust. And I think that's what we've kind of been talking about with the fact that the stock price is so low that there's this external variable that Tesla and Elon can't necessarily control that is impacting that trust variable. Um, but to give the devil's due, there is a part that he can do to affect that variable. And I think Alexandra kind of hit the nail on the head with this when she you know, puts up the chart and it's got the four quadrants of different types of people and Elon is very much the engineer type person. And so he's making predictions and usually giving all the correct, like as an engineer, I understand exactly what he's saying. When stuff doesn't go to plan, I understand the caveats that he's saying that, you know, I think, you know, it's an S like the, the 4680 ramp is a great example. Well, it's an S curve. And if we're off by a couple of percent, we could, you know, that could change when we hit that 100 gigawatt hours by six months to a year easily it's really hard to predict because it's an exponential thing you know that makes sense to me because i'm an engineer i understand math i understand what he's saying 
you know, the average person, they don't know what an exponential curve is. They don't know what an S curve is. And that just goes over their head. They said, you, you know, you said 2022 and it didn't happen. So you're a liar. Um, and so I think that communication style really is a big piece of some, just an area of improvement that, you know, when Elon is for better or for worse, he is the public face, you know, the entire public face of Tesla. There's very little surface area outside of Elon and his own personality that is the public face of Tesla, then it makes the public perception of Tesla subject to both the pros and the cons of having someone who communicates strictly like an engineer. And uh, great shirt, by the way. <laughs> Tim Dodd, shout you out. got a shout out for Tim Dodd. Yeah, going to the moon. That's awesome. For sure. That's why I wore the shirt, actually. And I'm sure that's why you're wearing yours. <laughs> Go ahead, Ishan. And I'll share my thoughts here. Yeah. Uh, um, pop up the question again. Uh, if you don't mind. So given the question was very physics heavy, so what came to mind was stock price is definitely a function of trust in some way, but trust is also a function of stock price, like Hans said. So, you know, when the stock's going down, trust is going down. When stock's going up, everything is up. So uh, if you look at it really, is stock price a function of trust or is it the function of change in trust and if we go uh more uh layer into it it's probably the rate of change of trust that drives the stock price so we are basically talking about a second order differential here that's my take super nerdy i love it <laughs> it's also missing one one more variable that macro is- should be macro should be a variable in there because i think macro will impact that dramatically the other uh, variables so, are my- so I, I mean point. rate of change of trust actually is driven by external and internal factors so you're absolutely yeah. so this is this is such a fascinating question i know we're focusing a lot of time on it but like i think it encapsulates this story so much so here's how i view this just given everything that's going on execution to me so it's execution times trust all right Put Tesla within the context of every other automaker, every other uh, company in its field. If execution is 100 and trust is 1, right? But then everybody else execution is going to be close to 0 and trust can be whatever. I think execution wins out every time in the long term, especially within the context that the industry that it's playing in, it's so new. So the execution is going to have such outsized impact versus trust. That if you're in a field where no one else is even close and the company is making a ridiculous amount of money, who the hell cares what the guy's saying? And this is a problem. (laughs) This is a problem because this is probably what's going to happen. This is probably what's going to happen. And it's going to be almost like a negative feedback loop into some of the uh, deficiencies that Tesla has from an investor's relation perspective, tone perspective that could potentially be justified by saying well we keep growing and people keep buying our stock so it is what it is this could be the dynamic that plays out for the next five to ten years because their execution is so freaking good and um doesn't make it right or wrong but that's how i view this question and it becomes a it becomes a priority list at that point where should trust be when execution times trust is already miles above everybody else's you know so it's it's just it's such a fascinating question and we can talk about this for hours but um let's do the next one great question george yeah yeah (laughs) 
Farzam Misbahi Forum Hedge Fund. Return on investment, negative 100, because we suck. V, question. <laughs> what qualifies as FSD? Little to no human interaction. Inter- inter- excuse me. What qualifies as FSD? Little to no human interactions under all weather conditions? If so, can vision only be the answer? This is another really good question. Um, th- that's how I interpret FSD is uh, whatever a human can do, the machine can do and 10 times safer. Uh, how, how do you guys... And then the vision question is fascinating too because it, within the context of fog, can a camera really see? In the context of a blizzard, can the camera really see? How do you guys think about this? Lee, let's go with you first. Yeah, I mean, safety of a human in a sense. Uh, you say 10 times safer, but I mean, arbitrary really how many times safer, perhaps just as safe or just a fraction safer. Uh, and then you're there. You're, you're the same safety as a human, but... That would also imply perhaps driving as fast as a human in a sense that you know you can you can you don't need to be so so cautious about potential pedestrians running out because you can tell this pedestrian is not going to run out whereas the tesla may just be concerned and just want to do everything it can to be additionally safe you know um so it would want to you'd be able to get basically from a to b at the same speed say at same time um and uh as safe in my opinion. Uh, as for weather, um, I mean, even in some conditions, humans can't drive either. If it's, it's so there are there are limitations to human driving in certain conditions. Um, I, I, I think maybe snow, maybe heavy snowfall, maybe maybe harder for FSD. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, that would probably be my uh, my where I'd see FSD as being there, you know, the conditions of where it reach. I was going to say uh, maybe that's why the new discussion about the limited radar has been mm. uh, coming out recently. That might be the the answer. Maybe Tesla agrees. Dijon? Yeah, no, uh, to Richard's point, it's the addition of the HD or high definition radar essentially is to add data when vision is obscured, right? So it could be, you know, during rain conditions, uh, fog conditions, or when there's actual dust on the camera, etc. Just to add to uh, add a layer of data points when the vision system determines that it's not, uh, you know, at its uh, or is not able to determine uh, the next step. There's one thing though: uh, humans are not statistical creatures, right? Humans are social creatures. So if I get into an accident, it's my fault or it's the other guy's fault, but it is somebody's fault, right? When FSD gets into an accident. And it will at some one fine day, there will be an FSD accident that happens. Uh, unfortunately, what's going to happen that day is that, you know, the it'll be said that FSD is unsafe because it got into an accident. So the unfortunate reality is that the expectations of FSD is to essentially be at a place where there are no accidents, don't crash, right? But that is not going to be the reality, even if it's not 10, but 100 times safer than a human. Right. The problem is the only way to measure this is statistical in nature. Perhaps it can change if there's Neuralink, but uh, maybe Tesla will buy Neuralink for this. But uh, humans are not statistical creatures. They are experiential creatures. And if somebody has a bad experience and, you know, tweets about it, um, Elon's not going to shadow ban them. Yeah, uh, it's going to sort of create this narrative around. So I think uh, my only problem with vision being the only uh, answer to this is that it's going to 
you know uh, boost that side of the narrative which is not uh, aligning with the statistics and i think we see a bit of that already happen yeah that's hans I mean, I do like the idea of adding a sensor, but this is why everyone starts out adding too many sensors um, to basically make up for places where potentially vision is lacking. Humans are pretty amazing at driving. You know, I, I know we talk about how much they suck, but they're also pretty incredible, too. Um, <laughs> it's amazing we're but, not all dead. <laughs> yeah, the problem with FSD's old radar was that when Tesla wanted to use it, the quality of the signal that they were getting back from the radar at that point in time was terrible and it didn't actually help them. And so if they're putting it back in, what that means is that they have found a new piece of radar hardware that actually provides them data that they can use in the moments when they want to. Um, and that's just not something that they had in the old camera. And so, hey, I'm always okay with them adding sensors that provide them with useful data that improve the overall safety of the product. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's where I'm going. It, it does provide you with kind of a theoretical physics-based higher maximum level of safety than vision alone. Great. Um, let's go ahead and bring up a, a quick question. I think the person might be under... Uh, yeah, Mark, thank you. So what is... LiDAR and radar. Why is Elon using LiDAR again after ditching the LiDAR? What about the people who paid for FSC? Will they get their money back? Yeah. So let me just clear this up real quick, Mark. You might be under a, a, a different sort of understanding. So Tesla never used LiDAR. They they did use the radar back in the day and they and they removed that. Um, well, they didn't remove it from newer cars, it seems like, but they're looking to add in a different version of it at some point, And we're trying to figure out what that version is going to do. Um, and I don't know if uh, there will ever be any refund as long as the the software suite does what it does, regardless of what kind of equipment they use from a sensor suite perspective. So just to make sure uh, we clear that up, Mark, because uh, it is kind of tied into this conversation. Let's do uh, one last question and then... Uh, oh, go ahead, Ishan. Farzad, can I... I think uh, this is a very, very important question that Mark puts up because I think it shows that there are a lot of people, folks, who are probably new to the community who do not or ha haven't gone down the rabbit hole as much. So I, if it's okay, I want to spend just a couple of minutes just, you know, uh, sure. uh, talking about, hey, what's LiDAR and what's radar? So uh, radar essentially uses radio waves. Uh, LiDAR uses laser, right? Um, if you've seen uh, crews or any others, they've got this huge thing on the top that keeps circling around. And what it's doing is shooting laser beams across its environment and uh, what gets reflected is essentially mapped and it's very, very good at depth sensing. Radar uses radio waves, which is essentially what, uh, you know, the oldest uh, technology that you have to actually get, uh, uh, you know, long distance or long range distance. The third one that we have is sonar or uh, sonics. Essentially, you've got ultrasound sensors that, you know, uh, pretty much every car has today and that uses sound waves. Each of these is essentially waves. Uh, light is also a wave if you think of it uh, like that. Now, why did LIDAR, not, uh, sorry, LIDAR or radar not work? A, LIDAR is extremely expensive. The equipment costs like $100,000, $150,000 per car itself, so it's never gonna scale uh, as of today, as of you know where we are today. Radar that we had in Tesla's vehicles before, like Parzal said, was not high definition radar. Uh, 
Tesla was at a point where the resolution that the cameras had and when they actually went to, uh, you know, the vector space where uh, they started putting in, uh, you know, direct pixels into uh, the vector space, that's, you know, sorry, photons into the vector space, which means building a 3D vector space directly from the camera feed and not putting in a layer of transformations. What happens is when you try to do sensor fusion into that and you've got uh, a sensor that is not, um, or that is lower resolution, you'll essentially put in blurriness into the picture that you're uh, building. So imagine you've got, you know, you're making a collage and you've taken, you know, uh, X number of pictures with your iPhone. And then you've got this one picture with like a 10 year old uh, Samsung, you know, two megapixel camera. And when you're trying to collapse that up, you've basically got blurriness in that one section where you've got, uh, you know, picture from that old one. So uh, when that happens, it becomes very difficult decision uh, as a whole. And this is why Tesla moved to actually removing that piece of hardware and removing it from their models. But what Tesla has brought in right now, uh, and we don't know how they're going to use it. It's all theory at this point in time, but this is high definition radar that now works with their high definition camera at uh, the same or similar uh, resolution of information. And hopefully what it does is that it sort of um, is a go-to sensor that can be relied on to actually remove blurriness when a camera is obscured when the camera or the models are not able to make out what's there, it can help to add in and not increase the blurriness. So I think that's why uh, we are sort of moving forward to a place where this is happening. And no, uh, I don't think uh, Tesla wants to give FSD uh, money back. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what their refund policy is. If you have bought it, please check the Tesla website. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Ishan. Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> there's been a couple. There's been some uh, class action lawsuits about FSD and uh, whether the issue was whether it's complete or not. And I guess the there those cases have been settled. And in some cases, money has been provided back. Uh, the agreements are confidential, so I don't know what it is. But certainly, I, I could say that once uh, FSD is perfected, then those lawsuits would no longer exist because they're all based on the fact that FSD is not complete. So that will be another added benefit. Once we get through FSD, Tesla will face less legal action and, and piss away less money on legal. Makes sense. Perfect. All right. I think we should stop it there. That was a, that, that was a very good last question. Very informational. Wow. Two hours and 20 minutes, y'all. Lee, do you have any closing thoughts for us, man? That was a, what a treat. What a treat to have <clears> you, man. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I think for the stock price, like when the 4680s do their thing, we could hopefully, you know, triple from the all time high. But, um, but to put it in perspective, when robot taxis do their thing, I think you add a zero onto the stock price. Take it to the bank. <laughs> thank you, Lee. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Ishan. Thank you, everybody in the comments section. I hope this was a, a great conversation. I personally enjoyed it so much. I was able to take in, my God, so much information from everybody. And just uh, especially given the current landscape, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just fascinating to re-engage with the, with the fundamentals of the business, regardless of what is happening today. And just study that again and and look at data and think about how that could extrapolate into the future um ishan go ahead i see you're off mute 
No, no, just saying bye to everyone. Okay, perfect. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Oh, and last but not least, producer wife. Thank you very much. Wow, killed it. Look at that. What a great job. Thank you all very much. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Love you guys. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Ishan. Thank you, everybody in the comments. Peace out, everybody. Bye.